0: Just a good old boy, never meaning no harm, beats all you never saw, been in trouble with the law since the day they were born.
1: Good old boys. I'm Mark. Bog Beef. Claudius is back. How are you doing? Doing good. How are you? Doing good. you got a very esteemed guest. I'll
2: tell you how esteemed. The subject that we're talking about today, Bog Beef wanted to record on it and I told him I would refuse to do it. I absolutely was not going to record this episode because it was too, it was too spicy. And then Claudia stepped in and said, and, and when I heard that he would lend his big brain and when, his, I, when uh, I signed
3: his, on to the project,
2: his cla- <clears throat> you know, his classical education, I say, okay, all right, I, I'm willing to, I'm willing to do this. I know we're in good hands.
3: Well, uh- Yes. I'll uh, I'll try to live up to that, and I'll try. To that
2: sounds like a bit, but it's not. It's absolutely the truth.
3: I'll try to I'll try to despicify it just just enough.
1: <laughs>
2: and we
1: have, um, and I have the other thing is I have no idea what's spicy, so this is good because like, um, <laughs> it's like you have to tell me how to avoid the bad part of town, but you don't have to say what where the bad part is <laughs> town unless I drive it unless I drive down there. <laughs> there was a minor discussion in the past week. This topic came up, uh, and the t- the topic is the the Jewish civil wars. But uh, I-, I can't. I think this was because of something that Pharisees, right? Someone said Ted Cruz said,
3: but Ted Cruz Judea and did- Samaria. That's right. He referred to the, what what most people call the West Bank as Judea and Samaria.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And, and I thought I thought I saw some people in the comments saying that there that this this was a a spicy topic. I'm guessing a spicy topic like a couple thousand years ago. But whether or not Israel, it, it, you, to call it Israel or Judea?
3: Well,
0: that and, and,
3: <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, off, we're off to the spice races here. Now, I mean, that. yeah, I think there's two different things going on there. The recent spice, I think, has got to over whether the term West Bank, I think that some people who are big proponents of uh, the state of Israel and of Zionism don't like the term West Bank. They, they view it as, and they certainly don't like the term uh, Palestine. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so they say Judea and uh, Samaria, which are actually two of the component districts within the Roman imperial province of uh, Judea. But then Israel and Judah is what after Solomon dies, I don't know, 950 B.C. or so, then the kingdom of Israel splits into the northern part, which people refer to as Israel Uh, which is the vast bulk of what's now the country of Israel, at least in the northern part, and then uh, the kingdom of Judah in the south. And Israel gets got by the so-called Neo-Assyrian Empire, I think 722 BC is when the northern kingdom is destroyed. And that's where you get your so-called ten lost tribes of Israel from. Uh, Those guys are mostly scattered to the four winds. You'll get little pockets here and there claiming that they're descended from them, but it's mostly obliterated. And then in the early 500s B.C., the so-called Neo-Babylonian Empire comes to take out Jerusalem, which is the capital of Judah, the southern kingdom. And those guys do have a continuity. That's where the Babylonian captivity is. You know, the the, uh, Neo-Babylonian Empire sort of takes thousands of elite uh, Jews and sort of keep some prisoners in a gilded cage in Babylon for several generations, basically. And then when Cyrus the Persian comes in, overthrows the Neo-Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire rises at the end of the middle end of the 500s BC. They come back. A lot of that priesthood and elite comes back to Jerusalem. And that's really the genesis of, of Judaism as we know it. You know, And then there's a lot of retconning going on because everything passes through this very narrow historical bottleneck of these exiles. And then, you know, this gets, this does get very spicy, right? Both in terms of the terminology, but also the, you know, legitimate implications, religious implications, political implications or whatever. And I guess what Ted Cruz, so the narrow version of what Ted Cruz was doing was just using terminology that one group of supporters might like and avoiding terminology, which would be seen as too I don't know, you know, UN speak or whatever. Uh, but it does tap into literally thousands of years of shifting lines on a map and, and shifting peoples and kingdoms and allegiances. It's very hard to avoid uh, stepping all the way back into that uh, quicksand the moment you start talking about this stuff.
1: Damn, he's good, ain't he? <laughs> <laughs> I
2: was going to say, you know, the, the Lost Tribe, you know, there are people who say they're part of the Lost Tribes. If you're walking around the streets in New York City, you might run into some of them.
3: Sure. The, the, I mean, there are, <laughs> the, 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 um, y, y, and you see two ways of, again, there. You know, one is the, the, uh, destruction, the <laughs> d- d- destruction of the kingdom. But then you also have, uh, after, uh, Jesus's ministry, you have the apostles legendarily start to spread out. And so these aren't Jewish tribes anymore. But this is where I think it's Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas puts his fingers in the wounds. I think he goes to India, the story is, and, and mm-hmm. starts evangelizing there. And so you end up with, you know, what, 1,500 years later, 1,600 years later, when you get European contact, you get guys just saying, hey, what are you talking about? We've been here the whole time.
2: Yeah, both early Christian communities there and there was also a Jewish uh, diaspora in India. I think they were called like the Maborites or something okay. like that.
3: It, it, it certainly could be. You have the, the furthest east spread of Christianity in the, classical era and antiquity uh, is maps on pretty well to the furthest east spread of the Indo-European languages. I don't know much about it, but that's Tukarian, kind of in what's now Kazakhstan, some of the stands, Western China, uh, both that that's the furthest east Indo-European language. But then also you get kind of, from our Western perspective, these very odd semi-heretical offshoots of Christianity start spreading out there very early on. In other words, long before Constantine and long before uh, the Roman Empire becomes Christianized. You have it spreading way into Central Asia and even fringes of Eastern Asia.
1: Then that's that's really based of Cruz to use the Roman designation. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it uh, it 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 you know it's very tough to. I mean, it, it sort of shows. It's hard to imagine there being any eventual stable diplomatic solution when people cannot even agree what to call <laughs> the area but this comes into something i've heard you guys mention a lot when you start talking about uh, the balkans especially and the problem with balkan history each of the peoples of the balkans have had their heyday at one century or another in the middle ages and the early modern period and so every current balkan country has a map of greater Albania, right, on their wall, which is almost the whole thing. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so if you superimpose them all on each other, you know, you a got, got a real big problem here. I mean, obviously you have a similar thing. Uh, I guess the most neutral term maybe would be to call it the Levant, right, is, is for the sort of coastal part of what we call the Middle East. I mean, I, you, know, I, you know, neutral terminology, real difficult to, to, to
2: come at here. That's that's what ISIS called it. So you know, <laughs> it's good enough well, for them. Right. It's good enough for us.
3: I, have you,
1: I forgot
2: have about you been, that.
3: Okay, so maybe that's not neutral anymore. Maybe that. Was, <laughs> maybe that term has been co-opted.
1: Have um, you been to Jerusalem?
3: I never have. No, never have.
1: I I, I haven't either. But I've if you look at on, I've I've seen these these tours of these major holy sites, and it's kind of amazing. Probably like the height of. People talk about how bad. I mean i don't have any love for things like the un or whatever you call that the sort of world order right now but uh regardless all these holy sites have like perfect they've perfectly partitioned them out so like some of them like uh it'll have like you can go to this holy site and look at it and they've they've sort of done cutaways and put put uh uh, sort of um uh, you know uh, walls here and there so that a Muslim a Christian and a and a Jew could all go to this holy site and nobody could see each other and everybody could <laughs> have fun and do what they need to do uh, I don't know it's kind of incredible
2: the offspring of Abraham can be quite quarrelsome <laughs> a lot, of,
3: mm-hmm. lot a lot of sibling rivalry and cousin rivalry <laughs> going on going on there
2: yeah and well you know kind of to get it started we <laughs> our, our, our friend here assigned us some reading Josephus is the War of the Jews and uh I tell you the war sorry I, I tell you I read I read the history of the Peloponnesian War in high school and that is a longer book than this I think and it was a lot easier read than, than Josephus, which a lot of this was, like, not just literally brothers, uh, brothers, like, there's, like, th- 15 guys named Hikurnas and they all hate each other. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, I guess, I, I guess this gets into a, a, qu- a question about, you know, reliability. It's like he's writing for an audience that might Enjoy if that you um, play up that aspect of your own people, right? Because this is kind of a book Bene- kind of a book by a Benedict
3: Arnold figure, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Josephus or Flavius Josephus, as his as his Romanized name is, uh, Josephus is writing. So you know, so it's translated. To, uh, the 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 book is given different titles in different translations. So the one. Uh, I didn't didn't go back and read it in the in the Greek. I was reading in English for this uh, for this episode. <laughs> Apologies, I was I was in a hurry. Uh, the one I have is called the Jewish War. It's also sometimes called the Jewish Wars, plural, or the Wars of the Jews. Uh, but he's the specific war he's mostly focused on is in the late 60s AD, which is a sort of it's a little unclear which is the chicken and which is the egg, but it is both a civil war within. You know the the Jewish nation, whatever terminology you want to apply to it, that's that's what it is, or that's what it's seen as Uh, a civil war on the one hand, and then a rising up in an attempt to you know rebel from or secede from the Roman Empire, Uh, and they've only been a Roman province for sixty years at this point. Uh, Prior to that, there were several generations where they were kind of client kings and stuff, Uh, and yes, Josephus is um, a, a appointed the military, at, at the beginning of this uprising, there's what appears to be essentially a military government put into place, and he is assigned responsibility for Galilee, you know, which is in sort of the northwestern part of the current state of Israel, uh, and, you know, it's obviously where Jesus was born, did his ministry, um, and he switches sides, essentially, and he narrates this himself very candidly, that, you know, Uh, The the rebellion is not going well, uh, and and he ends up, um, you know, he portrays himself as very competent, but then all of these other 'er ne'er-do-wells are constantly screwing up around (laughs) him. Uh, You know, what what else is he going to say? But then at one point, there's a scene where he ends up holed up in a cave with some other guys, some other holdouts, rebels. And uh,
2: let, 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 let me let me stop you here. Let's do well, let's make this a te- let's make this a teaser because we 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 want to start from the beginning. But I, I the the cave thing you got to save that. I, gotta save to cave, I save you that. got to so, so we'll, save the cave. You got to
3: save that. But we will say is that yes that, that was sparing the gory details for for later. Uh, Josephus essentially switches sides and becomes a Roman you know, lackey is what his detractors would say, or he kind of realizes the, the folly of trying to rebel against Rome and uh, you know, the self-destructiveness of the more militant people on his side and, and sort of sees which way the wind is blowing. And uh, he then what he tells us at the beginning of the book is that he originally wrote the history of the wars. He uh, he says, what does he say? In my native language is how it's translated here, which is probably Aramaic, my guess would be not Hebrew. And that this was originally intended, the first edition, his original version of it was intended to explain to, he says, non-Greek speakers inland, by which he appears to mean the probably mostly the Jewish diaspora, but mostly focused to what would be uh, the Persian empire and the, and the Parthian sort of cultural dominance because of this history of the exile and captivity in Babylon in the sixth century BC, a lot of the guys didn't want to go back. And so the the diaspora has already in effect. In other words, there already is a Jewish diaspora both in the Mediterranean and throughout what we now call the middle East b- before the destruction of the temple and before the reduction of, of Judea, which happens in two rounds the first one is the late 60s AD, and then 120 AD is really the final, uh, the the, the final straw from the Romans. That's when they say there's no more Judea. They changed the name to Palestina, uh, and and you know. But but he um, he says originally, uh, I'm quoting here. Uh, I've decided to translate into Greek the books which I wrote some time ago in my native language for circulation among non-Greek speakers inland. So it's possible, and I frankly don't know, I apologize, I don't know whether we still have the original version that he wrote in his native language. It's possible that when he wrote or had it translated into Greek, which was the lingua franca of the Roman Empire, you know, especially the Eastern Mediterranean, the the people he's trying to, or really the power circles in the Roman Empire, whether in the East or not, there's no point in translating it into latin but to translate it into greek which the upper class people would have all known at this at this era in the first century a.d um it's possible that he tweaked it a little to make himself you know to play up oh my my <laughs> people you know they're constantly fighting with each other and you know it's such a mess only rome can come in and straighten us out it's possible that he's bending it that way from the facts
1: you know it feels like um he's not benedict Arnold. he's a uh... A little bit Philip Patton. Mm.
3: Well, we, Woo! yes, that's. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we just bid on the first of those ghost pepper flakes there. Um, he, w- yes, but well, let me ask you this, Bog. <laughs> but Bog, I've heard you say before that when you read Caesar, this feels like a real guy to you. you oh know? yeah. Whereas if you look at the Greek stuff from older classical Greece and older Greece from hundreds of years before Caesar, you're like, these are space aliens. Or for that matter, if you're looking at the English civil war or the 18th century, you know, those guys seem like space aliens to you in comparison. Where does Josephus fall on the space alien to just a, just an understandable guy spectrum in in your guys view?
1: Well, I guess he is, he is a understandable guy. And I guess the, the thing about, um, that is being the sort of god dictator of of your your own actions and uh i don't know i guess it's it's a lot easier to understand somebody saying i did this or that i did this um mm-hmm. rather than <clears throat> these crazy stories about um i mean you know when you're reading about people living in 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 ancient greece like you know can they really describe to me like what are the setting like and stuff i don't know i mean that's it's tough
2: Caesar's commentaries are written from the perspective of a man who is, at, who is thrusting himself out on the world. He is taking action. He is doing things. He can tell you from his perspective what's happening. It's important because he's Caesar. Whereas Josephus' accounts are like, here are all the terrible things that have happened to my people. And I and like the, like the one part of it that where it's a first-person narrative, I'm Gomer Pyle. So, like, you can't, you just, you're not gonna, you're, by definition, he's mostly speculating about other people, it's a lot of times people who have been dead for, like, a hundred years before he lived, and that's just, by necessity, gonna be less relatable than Here's the here's, here's my Michael Jordan autobiography of how I dunked like, Tomahawk dunked all over the ball. <laughs> well, let me
1: put it this way, so, I bet, if Plutarch had a baby, I don't think he does, if he had a book where he explained what being Plutarch is like, I would be like, wow, I really understand this guy. Plutarch trying to tell me what Alexander's like, ooh, that's that's a lot rougher, yeah. you know?
3: That's an excellent point, point. and you do have here something similar, you know, with with Josephus writing this narrative, which includes himself as a major figure, and which has both the blow-by-blow of the military stuff, including a bunch of gnarly sieges of Jerusalem and other uh, towns, really kind of brutal stuff in some places. And, you know, y- 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 and you get the sense real quick that it's the civil war aspect of it with the different uh, groups within Israel, within the Jewish state fighting against each other, seems much more violent. And I mean, the Romans, they're very violent, of course, but it's less personal. It's more just, hey, we're, we're administering the empire here, whereas the stuff is very, very personal. Uh, sort of maybe similar between Caesar's perspective on him fighting the Gauls versus his perspective on him fighting Pompey and fighting the senatorial oligarchy. Uh, you know, they say civil wars are always the nastiest.
2: Well, and you 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 nailed. Uh, you you kind of hinted at the the I guess chapter one of, of our story here, which is like, well, why did this these weird civil wars between people who were in pretty far flung part, not a terribly Resource-rich part of the world at the time. Like this is kind of a backwater. Judea is not is not a happening place. It's not Egypt. It's not. It's not the. It's not like the, the Fertile Crescent. It's in between those places, and that is exactly why at whatever happens in Judea has always, in, as long as recorded history has existed, has been important to the big players uh, of the of these games. And you know, those the the two ogs are going to be. Egypt, and then you got the Syrians, Babylonians, whatever you want to cut, you want to lump in all these Near Eastern uh, Fertile Crescent empires into one, which I think you can pretty easily, right? That's, yes. that's,
1: a, that's a great point, point. and you're talking about being at the crossroads. Yeah, and uh, there's a, a smaller point here, but this story and Josephus' his writings in particular are at a certain crossroads. Let me tell you, on the right wing, there's a lot of guys that are. They're very into uh, Christianity. A lot of guys, they're into the Roman, they're into the marble statue thing. This is one of the only places that you get the authentic. Um, Josephus is one of the only people that's writing about Pompey and Jesus, in you know, mm-hmm. in in the time.
3: And so yeah, I don't know. Watch his pilot show has a brief cameo in this. He kind of walks on stage and says hi <sighs> for a few pages. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so um, I don't know. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a cool thing. I. I I, of course, I, I love Caesar and Pompey and stuff, and so any, any chance to see that from a different perspective um, is cool. But sorry, continue.
3: Well, in, but in terms of Mark, you're framing it in the in the geographical, and I think maybe this is a good angle for us to start to unpeel this onion here because uh, you're, you're all house dressing of patronage. It's a great theory. It's really mm-hmm. good to think with. It does a lot. But I want to road test this now. I want to distance test this because here's the thing. A lot of libertarianism also is a cool lens to think about as long as you're keeping your analysis focused within one society or one country or one relatively fixed geographical area. But then the moment you try to bring it into the realm of like foreign policy, libertarianism just doesn't, I think just doesn't work anymore. Um, And so what I wonder is, is foreign policy and international relations and imperialism and all that, and you know, all that stuff, is that patronage applied over distance and applied over geography? And if so, does the basic model of the theory you guys put forward, which is, you know, a reciprocal acknowledgement of obligations by an elite and a protection uh, offered and benefits offered in exchange for support, Uh, from their clients does that work in the same way when you're talking about a massive empire versus a small client kingdom or sort of sub-province of it as it does when you're talking about Huey long and the people of louisiana
1: i think so i I think i had a couple examples i won't go too deep into it but um there was this um these peoples in i don't know i guess it wasn't greece but areas around there where um, they would develop uh, some, they, they developed this, this kind of. Uh, uh, I think there's more than one kind of people that did this. There were people that developed dyes, like some of them had mm-hmm. develop, used it with these snails. Other people, Tyrian,
2: mm-hmm. Tyrian uh, purple stuff like that.
1: Yeah, and I, uh, I don't know what people did with silkworms, but there was something else like this where you, you had,
3: had the, the snail, the murex snail, is what makes the Tyrian purple. hmm
1: And you had a you had a total um conspiracy of all classes and all peoples in these societies uh, the, they didn't tell anybody else and the, the, these so these systems would sort of operate um, sort of a, as a singular unit. The other thing is of course uh, Christopher Columbus sailing, you know why why did why did white peoples try why did white people try to circ, circumnavigate the globe? Because we didn't have any pepper. Everybody else had pepper. <laughs> And the people in the, in the Middle East and with stuff were were basically scamming us. If people were just sort of uh, floating in the ether and there was no real civilizations, then we wouldn't have been getting screwed on the price of pepper so bad.
2: <laughs> you know how Lindy that story is. There's a great uh, there's this great anecdote the, the Han Chinese tried to send an embassy to the romans during i mean they eventually did they did eventually have an they did eventually talk to each other but this is way earlier on it might have been in the time of augustus anyway it was it was well before the, the decline it was it, what happened was they they talked to the parthians because to get from china to to rome you would have to either go down the indian ocean and then go overland through egypt or you could go through, or you go through Parthia, and so like they, the Chinese stopped, and they knew the Parthians who were a lot closer, you know, like Afghanistan, uh, in parts of India, uh, Iran, and they said like, hey, can you help us go find these Roman people because we want to talk to them, and the Parthians were like, well, hey, if we do this we're not going to be the middleman anymore. So they fucking lied and said like, Oh yeah. To get to Rome, you got to like sail around the entire planet. And it takes mm-hmm. like, it takes, it, it takes a, it take like 15 years to get from, from one place to the other. It's, it's no, no big deal. Don't even worry about it. Like this is like the, the middle, the the near Eastern middleman thing is, is, is like as old as recorded history.
3: Well, and that's, and that's the question is, you know, is geography destiny? Meaning, if I give you a detailed map of a place, a good topographical map, and I show you, "Hey, here's where the swamps are, here's where the forests are, all that," can you reason out with a pretty good degree of prediction how the history and society of that place is going to go down?
1: No,
0: no. I, okay,
1: I think I think uh, I would say I'm going to go ahead and say yes, but of course that that has limits to it. But I mean, there's also situations where the people aren't the prime mover there. Like you have those step places where the, the steps don't really tell you anything about people other than they got to keep moving through. Hmm. But in Greece, uh, Greece is the strongest example because like, I don't know if, um, if living in planes tells you everything you need, like (laughs) is super important for how you organize your society. But I know like greece has these places where it's a it's a effing mountain on an island (laughs) it like the it's like an island of a mountain and you look at those places and you're like this is just completely impossible to invade how would you invade this place like um why would you
2: want to well, everybody, it, well, I mean um, that, that was that was one of the like the ultimate laconic phrases, right? The Spartan king says, like, "Like, look how rich the Persians are, and they just want to come here and steal our bar, our shitty little barley corn islands." Well, like, you know, I, I mean, yeah, obviously that's you know that's that's uh that's cap as the kids say, but you know he, he had a
1: point. Well, yeah, but you want to invade? it. I mean, I want to invade and kill anybody that's sort of vulnerable to it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just mean that everybody did. If you, if the you,
3: masculine urged to yeah. yeah. Th-
1: this, this is how people felt. But like, if you look at Greece, you're just like, no, thank you. How would you invade these places? I'm guessing people uh, uh, did, but I mean, it's. um... You no. would
2: hire other Greeks. That's you, that's the, the usual oh. answer. From
1: my understanding, the the Italians and the Germans most unperformed, underperformed in World War II. Uh, even the Italians were getting their asses kicked. I mean, uh, mm, yeah, if the Greeks had 40 less IQ, they, they still would have, uh, uh, had the same sort of civilizational trajectory is well, the difference here is that, uh, if you live in the middle East and you're in the, you're in the, the crossroads of the world, you're getting invaded every five
2: minutes. Okay. So I, I made a bombastic answer of no, but like, it's kind of like. No, but to, to
3: the question is geography destiny?
2: Right, because because like, I mean, obviously, to some extent, it is, and we like, and the place that we're talking about today is a great example. You have, you have these this fertile river valley in Egypt, another fertile river valley, it, it, with between the Tigris and Euphrates, and these two are the prime movers of, uh, like, I guess the bronze, the Bronze Age, and and, and Iron Age. Of the, of the Near East, like these are the these are the places where all the action happens at first, and like for obvious reasons. And we uh, you you mentioned them, and Bo, I know Bob and I both read them back in the day. Jared Diamond wrote extensively about this in Guns, Germs, and Steel, which used to be a progressive book and is now like part of the right wing canon, I guess, because he's been canceled along with everybody else he he lays out why river valleys are like a, a cheat code for, for starting your your civilization. You have these yearly floods that bring in nice fertile soil. Uh, you have this; you don't have to worry too much about irrigation. In the case of the Nile, like Egyptian civilization is just a, 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 like a really long snake that follows along the course of this river. Uh, it, it's a it's a really nice jumping off point. And it
3: and it's also it's it's relatively immune to being invaded from the outside. So yes, you know it might as well be a, it might as well be a damn spaceship compared to it, uh, the Levant's vulnerability from all sides. As long as you control the southern the southern reaches of the Nile, you're set in Egypt.
2: Yeah, it, that so in that sense, it is like in Beast point about greece you know greece is the opposite it's these little these little shitty hilly, hilly islands that don't have great land you you can you can understand why greek people like the the independent minded quarrelsome greeks would come from a place like that whereas egyptian society has as close to the opposite as you, as you can get to that like and also the chinese river valley societies are the same way very we'll say communal right you have mm-hmm. the the god you have the god emperor who was a, a, a kind of historical archetype but that was a pretty recent invention in human history that only happened because you could muster huge amounts of people because you had all this you had this very easy and cheap farmland from from the river valley you could feed uh, uh, thousands of people to build you a giant Stone uh, triangle to bury yourself in. You can do all these.
3: This is the part where you should splice in Paul Robeson singing "Old Man River." By the way,
2: yeah, let let my people go. The reason I said no, and Jared Diamond tries to spends a lot of time in his book trying to get around this fact. Uh, You guys know about the Mississippi River, right? There's no There's no reason that that these that, that Places like like the Mississippi should have been, like, there was Cahokia, right? But sure. that's not, that's not, <laughs> that is not Alexandria. That is not Babylon. There are all these places in the world that had the right recipe that simply didn't, didn't become that. And he kind of, he does some code about how, well, we have, uh, you know, there are more cro- uh, crop spread from Eurasia yep. and stuff. Except the problem with that is, hmm. The Western Hemisphere produced a lot of the staple foods. Corn is, uh, corn dis- absolutely destroys wheat when it comes to feeding people. Well,
3: this is the old, and the old line of you think about Italian food, you know, al- almost all of the main ingredients of Italian food are post Columbian interchange, right? You know, tomatoes, noodles, all that stuff, right? Like it, it, uh, uh the, the, but, uh, doesn't Diamond say is how he tries to, Get around a lot of this is he says. Well, Eurasia is oriented on an east-west axis, mm-hmm. whereas Africa and the Americas oriented on a north-south axis. And so, if you have that east-west axis, then um, plants, animals, lifestyles, everything like that, can kind of ricochet back and forth, and, and yeah. set up a positive. You, you know, they're more translatable and mix and matchable. Uh, it, it, that gets you part of the way there. I don't know if it gets you if it gets you all the way there.
2: Um, it it do, it does but it's it just in the end it you you can't explain why you know the as like look how young the aztec empire was sure. you know the, the incas the mayas these were not ancient peoples compared to to what was going on in eurasia for what, what i don't think geography can account for all of it i, I won't go, we won't need we don't need to go any further than that i don't think i i, I think if if you if you Go ahead and read his book today, and see what you think about it. I I I no longer buy it. I think people are just different in in cert, in certain ways, and there's just no way to get around that.
1: Well, by the way, I mean, the main debate about this, um, the sort of I mean, people don't debate this on national news, but in in back alleys, the the main. If you ask someone on the on, it's like on the in it's like on the right. And I don't mean like your, uh, you know, your, the, your neighbor or something, but people that write articles and stuff, they will say something like that. Jared diamond's wrong. He's a lib and he's ignoring things like IQ and stuff like that. Now the problem there is that I thought that the, I thought like, if you're a far right wing, uh, you know, uh, super guy isn't the whole argument that Northern Europeans got IQ because of geography because they were close to the poles and you had to, they had to have big old brains to figure out how to survive in the winter, blah, blah, blah. So that would still uh, yeah, be I mean, a point it, it, for Jared Diamond in my
0: it, opinion.
3: It's a so for few, right? No, I, I think you're right that if, if, even if you say, Oh, this type of person has a certain character, well, that character was shaped by the environment, by the geography and the climate yes. and all that ultimately, um, you know, it's not all one, it's not all the other, but there's that, there's that feedback loop there. I want to go back and stick up for Greece once before we move on <laughs> from the geography thing, which I'm always going to do. But here in particular, and you're right that, um, you know, Greece is not uh, knocking them dead in terms of agricultural output uh, or really in a lot out of other kind of output, but just literally on the geography, if you picture a map of the world, So because we've talked on a previous episode, we talked about the uh, up until the development of steam power and the railroad. So up until, you know, five seconds ago in historical terms, uh, water transport was so much cheaper. Such a better way to do trade and other kinds of exchange between people than overland export was. So picture the whole uh, map of the whole world in your mind. What is the area of the most fractal that's not the best word but uh crenellated coastline where you have the highest ratio of sort of ability to do water interchange trade or navigation versus inland in the whole damn world
1: a GNC. i
3: would i i would yes exactly it's it, the mediterranean is already kind of a fractal maximized coastline and then within that, it's like Blade Runner, in right, and Enhance. enhance. You, you know, you zoom in on the fractal of the fractal, which is the Aegean Sea, the Attic Peninsula, all this stuff. So you could look at this map and pin the tail on the donkey. If you're an alien, you know, you come in and say, if you, if you know this fact, which is it's a lot easier to get this cultural interchange going when you're doing it over water versus land, assuming that's true, if that's the axiom we start with. You could be from Mars and you could look at this map and you could make a decent educated guess that something was going to pop off, uh, in Greece.
1: I have this, uh, I had this, um, uh, generational bridging moment. So I, I work in the construction industry and you have, um, and I would, I would talk to these guys that they're sort of, uh, construction professionals of various types, let's say engineers. Um, engineers, general contractors, stuff like that. And what you'll find is what these guys do a lot of the, when they're, when they're, you know, everybody has that, that I don't know about everybody, but people have time in between, uh, in between tasks where they can't really do anything. Um, I guess truckers have that, what, 34 hours they have to do every so many days or whatever. But these guys would be like, well, they got 10 minutes in between meeting a and meeting b. So what are they going to do? Most of the time what they would be doing is they would be looking at Google maps, usually the professional version, which is like its own program. And they stare at these maps and I would sit there and stare at them with them. And they would tell, they would, um, you know, one of the things they would, they showed show me is, um, if you, <clears throat> this guy was looking for, um, where the septic systems is. And he said, and he told me, he just said, um, you just look for the green spot. Uh, uh because that's where it is but these people they stare at maps i remember thinking i was like gosh if you guys were 20 years younger this would be a paradox game
3: well you archaeology? You'll sometimes find. I mean, every once in a while, they'll they'll find a spur of a Roman road just by looking at satellite pictures and saying, "Oh, there's something up with the fields here," and then they'll go dig it up. And what do you know? Yeah, there's a Roman road there.
1: Or they could find mass great quote unquote, find mass graves in Canada, which was a, a huge hoax by doing that. But I, I, I point. It,
3: it's an evolving technology. There's still a few <laughs> yeah, bugs in the. A,
1: a, absolutely.
2: We'll move on, but I want to throw a wrench into the, into the, all this and. I, I, I gotta do it I'm sorry Jared you know his book you can read everything in this book and think about the geography of the, you know of the Western hemisphere now it explains why the people living there never thought you know it would be cool like a pottery wheel or maybe a wheelbarrow you know we don't have it we don't have any oxen but we, you know I could you could put wheels on a cart and it would be a lot easier to move our stuff around you, you just you can't explain that through like geographic determin- mm. determinism now and if let's be real about this uh, there are two ty- <laughs> there, there are uh, we'll say three types of people in the world there are Indo-Europeans there are Han and their, and their offshoots and then there's everybody else and uh, the first two have been really good at, at, at out competing the the rest uh, The like the first group way better than everybody else like historically better and this is just i don't know why America, you can
1: okay what about okay the problem with that is that <clears throat> i think romans are considered they're in the good good guy column they're they're in the the, the high q or whatever the, the they're indo-european okay but they were they were kind of behind on inventions that i think a lot of people thought they should have like why didn't they they get the um the yoke
3: they didn't have that right or the stirrup. Yeah. The saddle. They sure picked them up pretty quick when they when they got him. But, but maybe a way of squaring the circle here is it's not just a, a society interacting with its geographical environment, but they're also interacting with other societies. And this brings it back again to Israel, which is a relative, I don't want to say backwater, but it's, you know, not going to be a huge power base to build the spanning world empire, and it is trapped essentially between Egypt on the one hand, and I guess Mesopotamia, for lack of a better word, on the other hand, and you see this all through the Old Testament, they're painfully aware of this consciousness, I mean, you can see this even in uh, Genesis, right? Abraham comes from Mesopotamia into the Levant, and then his descendants go from the Levant into Egypt and then come back and Israel's time to shine is when the Imperial powers around it are in a decline. Yeah. So you have the bronze age class, which you guys talk about a lot, kind of the first European dark ages, you know, roughly 1200, 800 BC, roughly mapping on to the, you know, so-called dark ages in the post Roman empire one. well, late second millennium BC, everybody gets BTFO'd except for Egypt, and even they are hurting really bad, and that is when you get uh, the kingdom of da- the David founding, not just his kingdom, but really his empire, uh, and, and Solomon is certainly an empire. I mean, he's wheeling and dealing for people all around the broader Middle East, into, uh, into the Arabian Peninsula, into Egypt, up into what's now Turkey, right, and then the moment that the so-called Neo-Assyrian Empire kind of gets back up off its feet and starts flexing and spreading in the early first millennium BC, uh, it's the writings on the wall, and no pun intended, because we'll probably talk about the Book of Daniel later, but, you know, the writings on the wall uh, for the Jewish kingdom at that point, that when the big boy, you know, at best, they're the Belgium of the ancient Near East, right? When, when the other powers are powerful and feeling their oats. They're just the screen door that's getting slammed every decade by <laughs> one of the empires running up and smacking out the other. Um, isn't Armageddon right? It's Megiddo and there's some mm-hmm. huge battle right in Megiddo where Egypt is, you know, flexing up there. I mean, that's really far for in the and in the ancient time frame and context for a kingdom, an empire based in the Nile. To be projecting huge armies up into what's now not just Israel, but also even up into Lebanon and Syria, the, the, those areas. That's well, a big you, undertaking back then. If but.
2: you like your geographical determinism, then here you can have some as a treat. The, the 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 big problem if you live in the Levant is not you're wedged between these two like places. They're always going to be great because of like you know, the other river valleys, et cetera, and the land is just really nice and flat. Yeah, yeah. There's some deserts and stuff, but you know, moving an army across the deserts a lot easier than moving across water, moving across mountains. And in this period, time period, like what's what's the the fighter jet of the era? It's the chariot. Mm-hmm. Chariots work great over this kind of land. They're they they're built for that. So you're you're not you're not only in a bad position. The the terrain that you that you live on. It makes you really vulnerable to these big armies just swooping through, and and like you said, it's a screen door slamming on every twenty or thirty years. First off, the the whole all this
1: ge- geographic mater- determinism a uh, lot more important when you're talking about things like war and food. Like today, <coughs> Germany can demand things out yeah. of Greece, and they can't just say, "Well, you can't climb these mountain islands we have, buddy." Um, they actually have to send them money, uh, but. Furthermore, that's the country that
2: disproves geographic determinism. By the way, if you were in a space alien looking at the, wor- at the world and like whatever, at the, t- at the we'll say the turn of the millennium, like oh this place is gross, it's nothing but forests and it's cold and there's nothing good here. I bet you these German people are never going to do anything. They're not. They're going to be like mm. Siberian peasants for, for for the rest of history. Nah, it's not how it happened.
1: Well, it's the other theory is that it's. You ever play monkey in the middle? Yeah. Uh, so this is, I don't, I'm sure a lot of people have it. They're listening to it. It's kind of this, bru- uh, the version I played was this brutal game you play uh, when you play, uh, I did high school football. You're standing in the middle and you're surrounded by 250 pound gentlemen and one of their name gets called and they come to destroy you. And being, and so being in the monkey in the middle is a very dangerous place to be. So the, the other theory about that is that whoever is this part of someone's going to live in this dead center of Europe and whoever it is, is the monkey in the middle. And so they're going to either have to be the baddest man in the world to live there, or they're going to get, or they're going to (laughs) die.
3: But this is sort of how like every step of the expansion of Rome, they view it as a defensive step, right? Even though they end up a thousand miles away from the little village with the wolf, you know, nursing the kids. Right. Right every step of the way, and they're like, well, we had to do this to protect ourselves.
1: Yes, absolutely. But, uh, the other thing is that the, the thing about geographic determinism is, um, so certainly geography is there. You only have so many moves you can make. I think there is, I guess there's some kind of hardcore geographic determinism where you think that that's like all that matters. And in that case you would have sort of like explain the Philippines. Like, is there any re- like, I don't think the Philippines, are a thousand times easier to invade than Greece. I mean, I guess it's lower, but it's, I mean, you can, uh, the,
3: te- the technological disparity. It's yeah. Just, but like, if hard. you
1: sit, if you send men there, like half of them are going to die from some horrible dysentery and things like that. Um, but has in the Philippines they've been in conquered like a thousand times. Right.
2: Sure. They have the same problem that the Levant does—that they're surrounded by these places. Like, and plus, for them, it's it's worse. But it's like, you know, they have the the Asian version of the Vikings, like the Polynesians, who are just you know they're sailing all the way like Madagascar and places like that. So if you're if you're if you're next door to them, you're going to have a bad time. And plus, you have the Han Chinese and some of the other South South Asian. That's actually empires. the only
3: when I was talking about the fractal coastline of the Mediterranean, but then zooming in within that, Greece. The, the the runner up there in terms of a complicated coastline would be East Asia, I suppose. Yeah, it's, Indonesia. It, yep, that whole up and down, you, you know, even if you look at, what is it, Beijing or whatever, but northeastern China has that funky kind of, I mean, it's a sea, it's really big, but with the lobes coming off of it tucked in between Korea and, and, and northeastern China, that is not quite as fractally bound up in itself with all those points of hyper- uh, Uh, navigational contact the way that the Eastern Mediterranean is, but it's pretty close. And maybe that's why, so I'm trying to modify Jared Diamond here a little to to say, it's it's not just the geography, it's the geography interacting with the societal development. But if you were saying that you have a European cultural sphere and an East Asian cultural sphere, and they're kind of Coke and Pepsi and no one else is coming even close uh, in the broad sweep of things, maybe he would say that's, that's part of the reason why.
2: By the way, yeah, like the, a, the Turkic peoples are like RC Cola. Yeah, they're they're, they're, they're <laughs> good too. They're
3: the yeah. I, I've just got a quick
1: technical question. So, um, if you're in Asia, you're getting rice. Uh, the rice is sort of what keeps people sustained. If you're in the New World, it's I don't know what potatoes. Uh, what is the what is the primary crop that feeds Greek but I know this is a really stupid question oh, I' should it's know
3: a great question I just embarrassed I don't really know the answer I mean it's wheat yeah it's, it's now it gets confusing because the Brits call it
2: corn right the, the room every, like corn was what they what I think this, classically it, was called was called wheat and, what we don't uh,
3: call a cereal right I mean, it was a generic term for just stuff you'd right. grow and then turn into food um, but yeah, be, you'd like to
2: say barley corn, rye corn, whatever. But yeah,
3: it'd be, it'd be, it'd be wheat. Um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be wheat and, and kind of crappy bread. Probably wasn't very good to eat. And any kind of meat or even fish was a treat. And not just a treat, but if you were eating meat, that means you were doing a religious sacrifice and and, and vice versa you know the the cookout the barbecue right what's the entire center of the 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 communal religious and cultural activity and that's why it's you know you have obviously hyper detailed instructions on how you're going to carry out all these sacrifices and then who gets to eat what parts of the animal afterward in the in the five books of moses uh, but you also have this oh gosh is it easy it's um I, I'm I'm rusty on my Hesia, but I th- is this why they send Pandora to punish humanity? There's some trick early on where Prometheus tricks Zeus into taking the crappy part of the sacrifice. He takes like some bones and some 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 taint, but then wraps like the good fat on top of it to trick Zeus into taking that part. Whereas the humans who are under Prometheus' protection get the good get the good uh, cuts. So uh, that you know, I it, only remember
2: the part where he got in trouble for giving us fire.
3: Yeah, it's, he 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 kept trying to help us out with these things, which are these really helps or not? Um, the I think it was him, maybe it was someone else. I'm too 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 rusty on my archaic uh, Greek 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 myth here.
2: That would make sense because isn't his like eternal punishment that have his uh, organs eaten by an eagle or something? And or over over and over.
3: by he's chained in the Caucasus somewhere, and then <laughs> every day this buzzard or vulture from Zeus comes and. Eat, you know, eats at his innards, but then they grow back every day, every night. So then he's doing this uh, for all eternity. Uh, the Greeks were <laughs> the first
2: Helene to discover the Chechens.
3: <laughs> that they they so so in, in the same way that both werewolves and vampires, uh, their mythological origin is sort of you know what's now Romania, give or take, right? Uh, the uh, Dacia, sir, please. Fair enough. Fair enough. S- similarly, uh, you know, you get. Um, in the Eastern Black Sea, up into the Caucasus, you get some pretty gnarly legends coming out of there. That's where Medea, you know, the witch who kills her kids, she comes from there, famously. Uh, so, so maybe this reflects some historical reality where, uh, when the Greeks started poking around there, maybe they didn't. Uh, also, maybe they, they asses kicked a couple times.
1: Also, Greece has this. um, I don't think that there's anywhere in the world where this kind of land isn't expensive. Where it's um, like hot, dry. And there's some kind of ocean nearby, which like, um, this is like all the places you can grow grapes. This is, um, uh, this is California. This is Italy. This is Greece. Um, these p- kind of, these places tend to have comfortable weather year round, et cetera. Is this true?
3: Yeah. That Mediterranean climate, it's, yeah. it's a real thing. And that's why California, but especially Southern California. And that's why everybody in the world wanted to move there for most of the 20th century.
1: Yeah, I mean it's uh, th- you know there's this guy that all the right wingers like the uh, the the food theorist, which by the way, I don't know if you know his name, but I've read that the uh, at the time of the Roman Republic, the 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 best-selling author, the people that that people actually read was not a was not Pompey and Caesar, it was it was a health guru, sure. that, <laughs> that said that the best way to live a long life was to. Uh, Get drunk a lot and go to the baths and uh, eat whatever you want. And all this kind of like, (laughs) these kinds of people have succeeded for years. But anyways, uh, that's not this.
3: In the same way, if you just go, you know, if you, I don't know, go to even a news website, let alone just dipping your toe into that broader popular stream. The stuff we're chattering about doesn't even move the needle. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's celebrity stuff and how how to stay young and look high. That's that's and you know, how to either look at hot famous people or how to stay hot yourself, right? That, if, you go,
2: if you go by YouTube metrics of payouts, like you get you like in YouTube you get, you know, money per view based on what your the subject matter, like based on the demographic people who watch it. And if you're talking about makeup beauty products, children's toys and stuff like that. You get like three times as much money as you get talking about politics. Just that's just that's just straight up how it how it is. There's and I no, think that's there's...
3: probably true for the ancient world and their <laughs> yeah, yeah. culture. You know, they they uh, agricultural manuals. So so um, Virgil writes one. Virgil Virgil has the Georgics, which is the second thing he writes, and that's hugely popular. And it's a little manual on how to have a farm. It's written in poetry, but there were prose ones which probably were much more widely read than Cicero or any of this other stuff.
2: Yeah, farmer's almanac I'm sure. Sure that's, that's it's been read a lot more than uh in, any of the uh the most famous political trees but aside from like the bible it's, it's probably one of the most read things in the english language right well this is this this is one of the things that so
1: like my people like the scots irish <laughs> deep south right uh right-wing people their big fault in the world i think is probably college football we don't <laughs> we don't do that the heroin and all that kind of stuff but they they like college football way too much, and but uh, that's that. we if anything, um, you know, at the time where all the great things are happening in Rome, um, the chariot races were probably just as or more popular.
2: They had wars over chariot right. races. The blues and the greens,
3: right? There, there was the Justinian uh, in the you know uh, early to mid five hundreds A.D. when you know after fall of the West. Constantinople's the power base now the whole Byzantine although they never 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 called it that yeah he had the there was a, a a chariot riot got out of hand and he had to massacre tens of thousands of the citizens of Constantinople uh, it was one of the st- maybe the single bloodiest thing that any Roman emperor ever had to do to their own people uh, and it started as fan bases that got it just you know conflict between uh fans of different teams in the chariot races just out of control Okay. But, so, um, I mean, probably horse races. By that, not cherry races. I
2: got to cut in. Do you, the thing you take like, the business They did not call themselves Byzantines To them, they were Romans. Uh, you, you, you. On Twitter, you guys. I know Bog because You know that Nicholas Taleb guy. Mm-hmm. The, you know. Do you know who we're talking about, Claudius? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like, You know how he gets really mad if you call him Arab, yeah. right? He's like, I'm Phoenician. Like the the, the Byzantines were like that. It was like one time there was a, like a legation from. The Western Church and like this might have been around the time of the schism or before it, and like just offhand, like the Pope said, like, oh yeah, well you know our friends the Greeks and they're like, you son of a bitch, yeah. don't you dare ever yeah. no, call like us. Greeks. How dare fighting.
3: you? They they would call themselves Hoi Romaioi, the Romans, but they were calling yeah. themselves that in Greek. Greek, yeah, and, and this is sort of like how in the Hellenistic period and into the Roman Empire. Yeah. You have the different factions of the Jews in in the Jewish area accusing each other. You're the Hellenizer, wait, no, you're the Hellenizer, and they're all accusing each other of this in Greek, which is how do you, you, know,
2: how do you pronounce this? Is it Hellenistoi, Hellenistai? That was the, the phrase they used, right? It'd probably
3: I, be Hellenistoi. Yeah, I mean, I haven't I haven't seen it written down, or at least not recently, but it would it would be masculine. I mean, I, I don't mess with pronunciation. That's a whole different world. But yeah, be the Hellenistoi would be the, the Greek I guess, right, is, is how we'd say it. But do you, these, um, so we've talked about how there's a line of control between the Mesopotamian sphere on the one hand and the Nile-based Egyptian sphere on the other hand. And depending where that line is depends who it is that the Jewish mm-hmm. people have to look up to and be more worried about. And when they're able to carve out a little space for themselves is when those two power centers are at a low ebb. But if you zoom out one more level of generality, you can picture an invisible line on the map, you know, somewhere in the Eastern Mediterranean or in the Near East or Middle East, the line of kind of where a Mediterranean or European sphere ends and um, Eastern, for lack of a better word. What well, they would have called it Asian
2: at the time, Asia, but exactly, we would call it Near
3: East. The, the Asian line, and that line moves back and forth a lot. The, mm-hmm. fur- the furthest westward movement of that line, I guess, has to be the Ottoman sieges of Vienna in the 1500s and 1600s. You know, they're knocking on not just Central, but almost Western Europe's door at that point. I suppose the furthest east that line would have gotten in antiquity would be when. Um, Trajan invaded and I think got up all the way to the mouth of the Persian Gulf in 117.
2: Well, be Alexander, right? I mean, well, that's uh, I know it's
3: a Alexander, That's a good point. That's a good. Sorry, Alexander, and Alexander wanders around, and gets all the way to the Indus, but that does not last, and I guess Trajan's doesn't either. There seems to yeah. be a sense. How many of the Seleucid emperor, which I guess is is a big chunk of that for a while. But, um, yeah, no, that's a good point. Actually, that Eastern line does go all the way to the Indus and up into what's now Afghanistan and some of the other stands. So, and then they leave a lot of residue behind there, but that line goes back and forth a lot. That East West one. Yeah. And there's a North, there's another line, Bog, you alluded to this earlier, talking about getting at the spices and, and, and the Middle Eastern middleman and all of that, how Uh, you're hooking up the trade routes. There's like a northern way to do it over the steppes and then there's a southern way to do it through the Indian Ocean that's going to be controlled by your Red Sea, your Arabian Peninsula, maybe your Persian Gulf. And where that line goes and fluctuates uh, is not so much, hey, an army's going to invade me the way that east-west one is, but is massively economically, culturally important. Yeah,
1: uh, The classic example for this, these kinds of lines is a lot of people have noted that it's weird um, <clears throat> that Armenians are considered white. And I, 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 they have been since at least the colonial times, back when being white meant something more than a social justice thing. Like back when white was like a legal definition, Armenians were white and people like Chechens and stuff weren't. And there's a lot of people that come up with a lot of stuff about this. But really the answer is, Well, Armenia was Christian, and they just used Christian when white would just meant the same thing. And because of a video you sent us the other day, I didn't realize Armenia was the first Christian uh, kingdom.
3: Oh yeah, before Constantine. It's it's. I think Armenia and Ethiopia fight it out over which one claims they went Christian first, but I think it is Armenia from what I know. uh, uh, Long before Uh, the
2: the West is just like the West used to be known as Christendom. Uh, and, and until the Enlightenment, you and even after the Enlightenment, right. that has only that's only become untrue in like we'll say the last hundred or hundred or so years. And there's right. a history,
3: there's a relatively recent history of the 1500s and 1600s. Eight, I guess on a, this episode, we have to specify AD rather than BC. <laughs> um, called the destruction of Christendom. You know the wars of religion and all the way through to Thirty Years' of War and you know Reformation, all that and and he frames it up exactly like that. He says this is when Christendom died and Europe was born.
1: Right, and and so Armenia was like just east because uh, because some people was because like uh, this is the reason why. Uh, well, anyways, Armenia was just east of Roman Empire. Yep, but was Christian. Whereas if you was to do the count back during just roman times then i don't think armenia would be counted as far as you know it would be uh, not that they would use this designation but but you know what i'm saying
2: they wouldn't have here's the here's the thing about like i guess since we opened the can of worms earlier we can we can safely talk about this like the people who lived in armenia in uh let's say we'll just say a good number 100 bc and the people who live in armenia now big old are not big old butts <laughs> they're not they're not going to be the same people it's just true of, of a lot of places uh well everywhere it's just there were massive migrations of people so uh, that that's uh, difficult what do you mean that's mm"? not I'm,
1: I'm, what do you mean i don't i don't think it was like a they, they weren't blonde haired and blue eyed
2: okay uh i mean do you were, think oh, so? I, I, no it? but I, I don't i don't know but i don't want to Well, but
3: (laughs) take another example, which would be the fall of the Roman Empire in the West and the creation of the different German kingdoms. And there's a lot of still to this day, a lot of argument about, are we talking about hundreds of thousands of people coming in, men, women, children, whole families, multi generational and they're really taking the land and kind of replacing the people? Or are we talking about a relatively small warrior aristocracy coming in, taking over, and then everything else kind of keeps going on as it was before? Uh, Mark, your favorite uh, novel, Ivanhoe,
0: mm-hmm. gets I'll right just...
3: at this. And I read this on your recommendation after uh, you, you said it was your favorite book, and it was not what I was expecting. I was expecting, uh, you know, you know, Gallantry be- and Daring do. Mm-hmm. And it is just a straight-up race war from the first chapter of, you know, the good, doughty Saxon majority that's oppressed by these, you know, the Normans are almost like the Klingons in this setting, right, of the, <laughs> the evil invading overlords. But, you know, they're outnumbered, seems to be the subtext going through the whole thing, is there's just not that many Normans compared to Saxons.
2: Yes, uh, the, uh I'm glad you went there cuz I was I was about to too. I was going to say like we like, like we're anglo We we think about it in this this is the this is the perfect example like the the uh, a- Anglo-Saxons versus the Normans. This is a conflict between like people who came from the Danish peninsula. This mm. is a really related people having a conflict like yeah, one of them speaks French and one of them speaks uh English, but They're not really. They're not that different people. uh, No matter how you cut it, they're they're cousins. The the worst you can say is they were cousins. When you're talking about the Mediterranean, you're talking about who lives in Greece today. Who lives in uh, our good friend who does the X Files podcast with us? His family comes from, uh, uh, came from part of Anatolia. Uh, Much different composition of people who live in that place now than even 150 years ago, much less in the time of, you know, we'll just say throughout Trajan. And in the story that we are eventually going to get to, there are massive genocidal wars where Hunt, or if you believe the sources, which you can't always but this is what you got to go on hundreds of thousands of people are wiped out entire provinces are depopulated so that's what i mean when i say like you can't say well armenia today and armenia then are the same thing uh, you you can say that but when you're talking about like what did they look like i'm not sure but i know i'm like 99 percent sure they didn't look like what they look like today one way or the other
1: there's a mixture and the, it's like um and some people are all of one, all of the other. A uh, good example, i tell people there's a uh, beautiful uh, Greek, like, javelin thrower or something like that, whatever. You know, these, which is kind of Greek in itself. Um, <laughs> Nicoleta Kiria Coppolo. And she's got blonde hair, blue eyes. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of thing where it's like, there are Spanish people that, that are... I mean, by the way, I mean, there are Cuban people that are blonde hair, blue eyes, and which are the, from the Spanish people, but in general, Spanish people, a little darker from the Arabic stuff. There's, there's mixing going on. <laughs> but
0: there's like, so, and,
3: and, but it's not to understate also the massive geographic and climate differences all the way through between these different areas. Best example, best illustration of this is. How many different Holy Roman Emperors, who are you know German warlords basically? How many of them die of malaria when they have to go down to Italy yeah. to sort of sort stuff out and you know smack these corrupt Roman nobles around and, and tell Rome to shut up and, and keep kicking up the Johnny? You know, uh, multiple of them die of malaria because you know they're they're hanging out and they, their power base is up in what's now Germany or what's now you know. At Luxembourg or whatever and then they're just not cut out for that when they go whatever to seven hundred fifty thousand miles south and they they have malarial swamps
1: yeah that's what when I was going with that that, that quack doctor guy which I don't think he's that quack but that who's that Pete
2: uh, the, Ray, I, I, oh The rape. I've never read any of his stuff. I don't. I. I do not sign on to you calling him a quack. I, uh, the the women who listen to our show are gonna fucking kill you. If you no,
1: no. That, but... He's not a quack. I, I don't know anything about him. And in, and. In, in... He's he's their guy, but one of the, one of the things he
2: wrote. This is not what I thought we were going to get canceled for in this episode. By the way, this is, this is, if, if, if there was a betting line, I would. This would have been a hundred to one. Conspiracy
3: against based food science. Yeah, like, uh, Pedism.
2: Pete, uh, I didn't think that was
1: what was going to get us. No, I, I, th- I think um, uh, I think Fredo likes it, but he says fruit's good, which is all I care about. But uh, <laughs> one of the things like he, how it tastes. He, yeah, he, one of the things he says is. Um, he started postulating about people that live in clients in client climates like Florida. I, I, can't, I almost say client because a patronage guy. Uh, <laughs> the, so he places like Florida. I guess places like Vietnam or any place that's hot and 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 wet. And he was like, "Well, you know, these people they get fat and lazy because they." He's like, he's theorizes and he says he's never been there. He's like, "I guess their metabolism has to slow down because I, you know, otherwise you'd be like sweating all day."
3: let me so tell like, you it's almost like the humors almost like the four humors theory coming mm, down, right? yeah but i mean it's uh you know he,
1: like, he's not wrong about that you would be sweating all day that what he's wrong about is that um your metabolism doesn't change i like i run hot my metabolism i've got a fast metabolism you know what i do i sweat all day that's <laughs> what i do and like that's just how we live which the horrible thing about that is that um uh, if you live in a dry climate, when your body produces sweat, it sits on your skin. This evaporates; it cools you down. This is why, uh, if you see in you know in Rome, they have the big fountains. They have fountains all. They put a fountain in town square. Why? Because it's a big air conditioner. It the this this fountain splashes this water around. This this causes this chemic. This causes this this reaction that happens whenever water is. Uh, sucked into the air, and it's cool there. That's why they have the, these fountains. Thing is, it doesn't do anything for your floor because you have one hundred percent humidity. So you just you're just sweating all day. That's what we do. It's fine. But um, yeah, like the actual uh the, the part where Jared Diamond history steps in, like, well, it just doesn't. We just sweat.
2: So all right, I want to I want to get to the meat of this, and we we. We had to start at the beginning, but we can do the abridged version of it, just like there's an abridged version of Josephus. So Alexander kicks it like the Babylonians and the Sumerians kick it off originally, and the wars between Egypt and, and and the Babylonians, the Assyrians, whatever. The 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 king of the place that we would call Judea was caught up in their wars since you know, like you 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 brought up Armageddon. Uh, the battle in the plains of Megiddo is allegedly the first recorded historical evidence of a battle, right? I think so. Yep. This is this is in this is in that re- this is in that region. This this no man's land. Well, I mean, there's a lot of mans in that land. This place, this <laughs> battlefield, yeah. this this battlefield, like right where the pharaoh get a, a a burr up his butt. and He's like, I'm gonna go fight. I'm going to go fight these, uh, you know, fight these Assyrians or whatever. That's that's the first, but I think there's, like, you can say there's three states for, for, for uh, like, if you live in Judea or any of these places. Like, Pol- Poland's another good example. Mm-hmm. You, you, we, we, we've mentioned two of them so far. When, when these empires are weak, it, things are good because, now you can flourish because there's room for you to grow. Like, you can, like, you're a... a some grass sprouting up in the cracks of the sidewalk, and when they're and when they're on the rise, they're fighting each other. You're caught in the middle. But there's a third state, and it's much more rare. It's only happened like we'll, we'll say twice in ancient history, and then maybe it's still happening today. And that is when there's just one big guy, mm. and, and he controls both sides. Both sides. And the first time that happened was with Alexander and the Greeks, and obviously it didn't last. It didn't last very long but the 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 hellenic kingdoms that followed alexander did really dominate that that area now they had conflicts between each other you know ptolemy in egypt is fighting the seleucids in the in the mm-hmm. east but they're both greek yep. they're both culturally the same thing and this is a big problem for the, Ju- the jude the the like the jewish uh, whatever hebrew people who lived there because there's a lot of pressure for the inhabitants to assimilate to them culturally.
3: Well, and here's a very, this is a uh, quotation that illustrates this. Just as I am able to punish those who disobey my orders, so I can be a benefactor to those who are disposed to obey me. Trust me then, and you will receive positions of authority in my government if you will renounce the ancestral tradition of your national life. (laughs) Enjoy your youth by adopting the Greek way of life and by changing your manner of living. But if by my disobedience you rouse my anger, you will compel me to destroy each and every one of you with dreadful punishments through tortures." therefore take pity on yourselves. Even I, your enemy, have compassion for your youth and handsome appearance. Will you not consider this, that if you disobey, nothing remains for you but to die on the rack? (laughs) That is uh, from the fourth book of Maccabees, which is so apocryphal that it's not even in the standard collection of apocrypha. you got to get, like, (laughs) extra apocrypha to get it.
2: It comes in just a plain brown paper wrapper.
3: That is, those words are put in the mouth of Antiochus Epiphanes, the god-made manifest, who is uh, in the early 2nd century B.C., so let's call it the 160s B.C., uh, this is what leads to the Maccabee rebellion because he's uh, early on after Alexander, the Ptolemies and the Egyptian faction, they are controlling uh, the the Judea, and they are seem to be kind of hands off. Set it and forget it. Whatever Hellenizing is going on there is more of an aspirational thing. It's not enforced policy. Then I forget exactly when the um, the 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 northern successor kingdoms take over. But in 160s, you have Antiochus Epiphanes, who was raised in Rome as a hostage, I think, which is very interesting. He decides, we're done messing around here. You're putting a gymnasium in, you're 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 not doing circumcision anymore. You know, you are going to assimilate to the broader Hellenic culture. Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else that we've taken over, they'll still do their own little weird gods or whatever, but they're also bending the knee. And if they have any social aspirations, they are Hellenizing in their ways of culture, except for this one little stubborn, stiff-necked people who will not get with the program. And you see a little of that later on with the Romans, but you really see it here with the Greeks. And yes, there is a there is a cultural unity of, Although, you know, query how many people percentage-wise of all the human beings living in these areas were actually speaking Greek, but the rich people were. The rich people were assimilating, or at least facing a bunch of pressure to assimilate. And this is just the ineradicable fact of Judaism is for thousands of years now, they said, we're not going out like that. Even when their geographic base is completely destroyed, uh, they don't disappear. And, And they refuse to, up to a certain point, assimilate as these guys are demanding uh the rest of this book of maccabees the fourth one is a very detailed like eli roth level description of all the tortures that they put these seven brothers through, trying to just get them to eat pork i think or you know eat something defiled and none of them will do it and each description is more and more elaborately disgusting of what uh uh, this king and his goons do to these guys
1: isn't it isn't it possible that like um the same thing happened to the Jews, like could have happened to the Polish after World War II. Like if, if World War II went differently, you had <laughs> people that like knew they were Polish. They had some weapons. They had some, I guess they were hanging out in London or something, you know, yep. they knew they were Polish, but there was no Poland. So now I know that's different for Poland cause that happened to Poland, but that's, um, you know, not everybody does that.
3: Yeah. I I I it 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 certainly could have been that that continuity's there. But that's where you start to get this you know, cause Cyrus does the opposite. When Cyrus destroys Babylon and liberates the Jews, he's he sends them back, at least in their narrative. He says, I will rebuild the temple. He sends these letters around to all of his satraps saying, Help these guys out. I like these guys. You know, they believe in one God. I believe in two gods. Eh, close enough. You know, basically we're all, you know, you know, uh, 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 Zoroastrianism and dualism is a kissing cousin to monotheism. And so there seem to be some simpatico vibes there. He says, go do your thing. Go back. As long as you, we talked about this on the first time I talked to you guys. As long as you don't rebel against me. And as long as you just calm down, you do whatever the hell you want. As long as you pay your taxes and join, and, and send me troops when I need you to. But the Greeks, and especially this Antiochus Epiphanes in the 160s BC, uh, doesn't seem to have that understanding. He wants to uh, annex them all to be sort of citizens of Antioch or to give them citizenship in a Greek city uh, or trying to turn Jerusalem into a city. And it's not just him imposing this as a hostile outside power. There are factions within the Jewish people that want to do this. And you have a fight between different people claiming that they're the rightful high priest and their names are like Jason and Menelaus and stuff. That doesn't really sound very, you know, uh, old Testament book of Moses names to me.
2: Now I, I, I am shooting, shooting from the hip, just from what I've seen, in my very limited understanding of the, of the history of the near East, uh, the ancient near East. I feel like, There was the idea that we'll just, you know, we'll have these people be like, you know, they'll be vassals and then eventually they'll just assimilate and become, you know, Persian, Greek, whatever. And because this is kind of how it usually worked. You like eventually if, if you've signed on for that deal. You know, with the emperor, the Seleucid Empire, you would eventually just become a Helene because that was the the way to like the like the the nice mo- villain monologue he did there. This is a good. This is a way for you to become an important person. Hey, just you know, you know, Apollo's cool. You should you should come to the temple and now you'll be you'll be a VIP instead of a guy who's got to pay a special tax because you uh you you got the one god discount. But they didn't do that. They were very they they were um. For, for whatever reason, especially attached to to uh, to their God, like they, obviously they were
3: indigestible from the perspective of the outside hegemon coming in and trying to assimilate them. They were indigestible,
2: right? And part of that is is an internal thing. Uh, and you know, like, obviously, the three of us we have our own bi- our, our own biased view of why because. We think because they were right, right? Because like we're, we all we all worship that God too. But you can, if, we, if you're going to look at it from, we're trying to be objective, which is impossible. But we can pretend like we are. There, there was a lot of pressure internally from these people to not do this. Like I, I remember, I don't know who wrote this. expensive. So you can't be Greek and a, a Jew was like a thing that was said. You it, once you become. Hellenized, no matter if you're wor- still worshiping Yahweh or you're worshiping Apollo, you're just not, you're not a real Jew anymore. This is just, you can't do this. And they had a massive diaspora, which and it was unusually large for, for the ancient world, wasn't it?
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, already by Caesar, you know, n- not even talking about the later diaspora, even uh, in the first century BC, first century AD, you have a very active Jewish presence in, in, you know, essentially all over the Roman world, that's our lens on it. You also, we have little references, even as I was saying earlier, Josephus starts out this history of the Jewish wars by explaining that he originally wrote this to communicate with his uh, co-religionists in the Parthian sphere. So it appears to be all over both of these areas, the Mediterranean area and what we now call the Middle Eastern or the, or the Asian area. It's funny you say that I have in my notes here, I wrote, uh, do we think Israel is more interesting in this time period because, with hindsight, we know it's the main character in this story, or is it just objectively more, you know, pivotal in the first century BC, first century AD than Spain was, or whatever? And if it's more pivotal, is it just because of geography, because it's between, you know, the Parthian world okay. and the, or is there something inherent in the culture and the religion and the faith? Now, as as Christians, we have real trouble stepping outside that, uh, to, to, to see how much is just hindsight or main character syndrome and and how much is actually, no, this is the pivot or one of the pivots and fulcrums of world history.
1: We, um, we get a little bit of that. We had some of that during the, the world on terror, there would be some kind of commentary. I can't say specifically where there was a kind of thing where it's like, well, these, 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 these Muslim guys, the Middle East, religion seems to be more important to them than it is to us. I don't know if that's true, but that was some commentary out there. You have this thing with, with the Romans interacting with the Jews and you get the impression that the Roman delegate is like, look, buddy, just sign this piece of paper. Yeah. You can do what you want to do. I don't. I don't give an s. But just sign the piece of paper that says the that says you're not monotheist or whatever, and you can continue to be so. But just just sign the piece of paper. I'll look the other way, and um, and we can all the, go home.
2: We had documentation. Wasn't like plenty, or somebody who wrote a letter to one of the emperors saying, like, "Look, I, we got a, we got these people." And I think it might. Have, I think it was Christians, not Jews. Well, it's I mean,
3: hard to tell. They didn't really understand the difference. The the pagan Romans right. were a little fuzzy on the difference back then. But
2: yeah. Well, the difference might have been fuzzy back then. We'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But the pl- plains rams like, like, look, look, I got these guys who are they're Christians, and I just tell them, just you just got to say, say you you know, say say the Jupiter's awesome. That's all you got to do, and then we'll just this won't happen. He goes, and I'll ask them three times, and I'll tell them on the third time if you say if you say no again, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, and these motherfuckers, they say no three times, and yeah. I have to kill them. What should I do? And uh, the emperor's response was like, look just stop asking like, yeah. if, if don't someone ask it, a hotel. If, it becomes don't if, ask a hotel, this, a hotel. if somebody comes to the town square and starts yelling about yeah about Jesus, then yeah, you gotta, you gotta execute them. But if not, just don't just, just stop. Just don't even worry about, it. I don't know. This confuses me too.
3: Yeah. The, 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 the Romans seem much more um, pragmatic about it or cynical is the other way to look at it. And they view it more as a sign of political allegiance rather than, Oh, what's in your heart? What's in your faith?
2: Well, that's, that's 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 a great point because uh, I'm sure that the Greeks would have said about the Romans, well, these people are really crazy about their about their stuff. You know, they they're holding a grudge against uh, Odysseus for mm-hmm. thousands of years. But that's because at the t- at the time the Greeks were the were the superpower. They were rich. They were they had gotten grown fat and they were on the de- on the decline. And the Romans were young and hungry and they mm-hmm. were real serious about their stuff. By this time, we're seeing the you know the the Roman when when Josephus is writing, this is like Rome at near its apex, it, 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 but it's really kind of past its prime. It's gotten rich and fat, and now like you don't have to take take his word for, or our word for it. Like Augustus is constantly complaining about how everybody has become yep. uh, lazy and oversexed. They, they and they have and, and, a
3: low total fertility rate, as we would say now?
2: Yeah, 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 and like the, how there's a, a lack of vitality in the people. Whereas the you know the people in Judea, oh they are, they're still buck wild about yeah. about their religion and their ways and they, it, it's it's more important to them than it is to you. and that can be that, that's a bad situation to be in if you're the overlord to a point. And then once you reach the breaking point which they do after the third war, then you have uh, bad outcomes.
3: Did you, did you ever see the Stanley Kubrick, Spartacus? And remember there's a scene with um it's caesar is he talking to cicero or whoever you know he's talking to someone a young caesar and he says well, what do we do with this these gods, are talking about these gods and he says publicly i believe in all the gods as do you privately i believe in none of them as do you right that 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 i think captures <laughs> and cicero wrote whole volumes and scrolls about how it's important yeah. to have a civic religion you know he sounds a lot like some of the founding fathers of our country saying, well, you know, we need this. Well, saying we need this thing in order to have a society is a little different than saying this is the revealed truth of the creator.
1: You know, that's, uh, I hate to say it. Uh, that's, um, I feel that way about a lot of things. I think that's not a bad way to look at governance. Um, <clears throat> things like, um, I honestly feel like the 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 Roman, the, the Roman, uh, the Roman uh, whatever the the Roman official guy when it comes to dealing with things like I don't know these these hot topic cultural issues and stuff you know where people are debating these things and I'm just thinking like you're not gonna get beheaded just say one way or the other and we can and you know it's fine and but that, that's not where we're at the, the the thing about Roman religion though I mean I don't know it's the I, I don't know if you'd say it's really weak at this time but like um you know Julius Caesar was a was a priest of Jupiter. Uh, Anthony was a was a priest, and this it, you know like officially this would have meant that these guys couldn't have like held office and all these things. It didn't seem like anybody gave an s about any of that stuff anymore. Uh, I don't know like if they ever did, but like this this never seems. I, I don't see a whole lot of stuff where Caesar's like, well, my duties with the church are going to stop me from doing this.
2: Well, and he's I- a high priest. Since I got myself in trouble talking about how great the Indo-Europeans were earlier, let me uh, let me, let me uh, get some woke credit back. The, the, the you know what the Indo-Europeans are really bad at hmm. creating religions because the the Hellenic, you know the Hellenic religion, both Roman, they're all from the same from the same tree branches, along with uh, the Scandinavian guys like these these. The reason these these mythological groupings seem kind of similar is because they are they came from from one group of people uh it's really shitty religion it, it, it's dead now you can speak it in the past tense aside from like some oh, some, sc-
3: some parts of twitter yeah don't don't seem yeah, to be dead
2: yeah there's yes aside from people with like statue pfps and like some weirdos in the black metal who live near malcolm uh nobody believes in this crap anymore because it was just there it was just weak it was just way weaker than the religion of the uh, you know the <laughs> the chosen people or however you want to view it, and and that's why they nev- they were they could never be as serious about it as as their opponents. However, what you know he wants it more accounts for a lot, but doesn't account for everything. And let's get, let's dig into the the narrative that we're talking about. So let's
3: do it. So we brought ourselves right. So you have Alexander dies in the late three hundreds B.C. You get the different successor kingdoms. Uh, You'll see, I don't think it's in Josephus, but in the Bible, in the books of the Maccabees, you will see them saying this was in the hundredth year or whatever of the Greek kingdom. They're dating that from, I think, 313 BC, which is, I guess, when the Seleucids maybe solidify their rule. Sounds sounds about right. I'm not sure which one it is. Fast forward, oh, I don't know, 150 years from then, and you get this crackdown in the 160s BC, where and and I think Josephus kind of starts with this, although he brushes mm-hmm. through it at the beginning. He has seven, bo- it, it's been divided into seven books, his history of the Jewish War, and the first one sort of speed runs everything, kind of from the Hellenistic period uh, up through to his own day. Uh, you have this crackdown in the 160s where Antiochus uh, the Fourth Epiphanes you know, takes over the Jewish temple, you know, puts a, you know, starts sacrificing pigs and just going nuts and, you know, I mean, you know, stuff that would be a deliberate defilement and saying, Hey, you're not, you know, you're just like everybody else. Your God's fake was the message he has. Well, the Maccabees uh, go buck wild. I mean, they, 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 they unleash, you know, a reign of fury and there's an uprising and it doesn't work all this power, all this might biggest single chunk of Alexander's empire. Uh, and they just can't get it done. And then you have the first real deal uh, Jewish kings in this area. The first one since the Babylonian captivity hundreds of years earlier, uh, you get the the, the um, descendants of the Maccabees become the royal family. And oh, gosh, what do they call them? The Hasmodians? Hasmodians, yeah. And this is, I guess, because... The Maccabees are five brothers. Their dad is a guy named Mattathias, and then his dad was named Hasmon Hasmonis or something. I guess that's where they get this name from. Uh, you get this sort of priestly, like the high priest and the king, are normally normally, although not always, not the same dude, but they'll be related. And you get this kind of aristocracy, according to Josephus. Uh, and, and Josephus thinks that's a good thing, by the way. This is
2: because he's, he's one yes, of them. Isn't exactly. He?
3: <laughs> this is the uh, this is connected to Pharisees. Although that's a very sort of complicated, loaded subject. But <laughs> you, you know, this, this kind of um, you, you know, let's call it a priestly aristocracy, and they're ruling the roost really for the rest of the after they uh, uh, sort of. Put paid to Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, they're ruling the ruse for most of that second, or all that second century B.C. And you see this name Hyrcanus, H-Y-R-C-A-N-U-S is how it's written in Roman alphabet. Uh, that's like tw- 10 different guys with that name. Yeah. You know, very confusing, very complicated stuff, blah, blah, blah. Um, th- that, those generations of the descendants of the Maccabees and these kings will get you down into the early first century B.C. And then this is where the inside baseball Jewish and Middle Eastern story starts to intersect with the story that's so near and dear to your guys' heart, which is the fall of the Roman Republic and the rise of the Triumvirates and
2: Caesar. Yeah, you get uh, you get uh, Pompey and Crassus showing up early in the in the story. Let I me mean, ask you a question: Is a is a, a man of letters and this is a classic? And you can read Greek and Latin. Do, is, jo- is Josephus exaggerating how quarrelsome his people are because like that's he, the audience he's writing to? Because if you go by the first few books, I mean the all, the whole thing is true, but, like you can kind of understand the conflict between the Romans and the, and the uh, Judeans, but the, the way they fight each other and betray each other, just like every 15 seconds mm. in the first few books, do you think that's exactly like was every, there's, there's three options either. There's especially quarrelsome people, uh, he he exaggerated, it, or three everybody behaves this way, and it, you're just seeing somebody write it out. I
3: I'll be I'll be lame, and I'll say it's it's both it's both and uh yeah. you know you know I mean there is the old cliche you know two Jews three opinions right there there is the old <laughs> cliche, uh uh I never heard that before a a a, a disputational people right is is sometimes people say <laughs> but but I don't I mean I think that's part of it but I don't think that's all of it I mean you have. If I would analogize it to like Macbeth, you know, so, uh, you know, Macbeth is is based on true facts and how many different Kings of Scotland were there in that one or two generation period where Shakespeare plucked out Macbeth to be the story of it. I mean, it is brutal. Everybody's stabbing the guy in the back and then immediately getting stabbed by the other guy and this and that, you know, and, but, but but I think that the reason I'm picking that analogy is maybe you are prone to see that kind of situation where you have a larger outside hegemon that's looming in the background over the internal yeah. fights you're having, because then everybody can go run and try to tag Big Brother over there to come and help them kick some ass domestically.
1: Yeah, it, it, this, is the, this is what I think is the crucial uh, part of this story that I don't think that there's an answer for, but the, uh, it's something that, that that's, uh, it should be a humble pill for theory cells. <laughs> <laughs> Which is that the fact that the you have these massive scale problems going on in this story. and like just think about when well, you talk about like well did any other people go uh, act like that well there is so many times when G, Julius Caesar shows up and he's having the sit down with like you know he's just a, popped up in some area in France or Germany and he wants a meeting with the local local big uh uh. uh big chief and he's going to give them the threat. You know, he's going to say, look, you you can play ball or you cannot." And like the first thing that happens is the big chief comes out and goes, Oh, Julius Caesar. Oh, you know, some of your buddies in the Senate told me you were coming. They told me you get, they give me, they give me a lot of money if they kill, if if I killed you.
3: That's a, yeah, that's a flex. And And yeah.
1: Yeah. And you're starting to think about, wait a minute. So how did that happen? there's guys in the Senate that have, oh, yeah. that, they have people talking to these barbarian tribes and this and that. And, and there's all these alliances, uh, spiraling around and, you know, it, it, Zizek talks about this a lot as being Slovenian where he's hmm. like, um, he's like, you know, doing politics, doing slow and like, uh G.J. tries to act like this nerd. I, I'm just this guy writing books. He tried to rule Slovenia mm-hmm. at one point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, he was, you know, he's in the military. He tried to become dictator of, of Slovenia at one point. So don't listen to when he tries to do that. And so he's thought about this question. And he's talked about, like, you know, doing politics as Slovenia is not the same thing as doing politics as America. You know, doing politics as Slovenia is you you're in between people that can mess you up but he you know he said that like you can do it to a level where both sides are trying to bribe you and you know what i mean you you have this sort of special place in in a game because of the scale differences
2: yeah and uh, you know you're right there were times in Roman history right after this, and maybe this is like just part of the uh, the zeitgeist of the of this era. There's a the, like where the Praetorian Guard are killing like you know uh, fifteen emperors, uh, the, the emperor by the dozen, right? Like this it's just there's a lot of turnover in leaders sure. everywhere. So maybe this is just like a, a, a ass like this is the the way things happen in late antique. Well, and,
3: and and to fast forward a little to the the Jewish War, the one that he's mostly writing about. So it's in the uh, sixty-six to seventy AD, I think, are the are the years that are normally given for that. Well, what's happening during that period? Now he says here on the very first page of the damn history, he says, uh, "When this rebellion occurred, Rome herself was in a most unsettled state." So he repeatedly stresses through his history the point that we, the Jewish people, were only able to even try. To make a power move here, because Rome was falling apart. Now he and he he says about two periods. One he's talking about the first century BC in his introductory book, and you know you have everybody's fighting everybody, and you know you have the triumvirate you got Anthony, you got everybody up in the mix, and that is what allows them to start pl- trying to get a good deal from one side versus the other, and then that doesn't work under Augustus and Tiberius. Now that ain't going to work, but in the 60s, the late 60s AD this is when you have Nero and Nero, whether it's himself, his failures or whether it's, you know, whatever pressures and strains the early empire was going under, uh, Nero doesn't do so well near the end. And 69 AD it's a memorable number. There is the year of the four emperors, right? Which is one of these p- periods you're talking about, Mark, where it wasn't so much Praetorian guard yet, a little bit of that, but it was more just, you know, warlord struggles basically, or not warlord, but you know, uh, power player struggles. Uh, but you go through, uh, Forum in, in 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 one year. You know you have this twelve Caesars, which is a misnomer. It's Julius, Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius, Nero. Those are the first six, right? Those is that's the actual dynasty. Although although none of them are, are are actual blood children, but that's the that's the dynasty. Then you have Galba, Otho, Vitellius. Who the hell are they? I mean, the only reason you know about them is because they were only emperor for a few weeks or a few months during this period of civil war, and then Vespasian who's the hero of putting down the Jewish rebellion, he and his son Titus, they are the ones who finally win the game of thrones and get that back half of the, of the, of the, of the 12 Caesars, which is Vespasian and then his sons Titus and Domitian. But it it, during, there's something about the bigger power, which is just this giant hegemon. uh, and, And, and an example of scale, Bob, you're talking about scale. Here's, To to show the scale, when the Romans finally say enough of this client king stuff, and in 6 AD, give or take, they say we're going to have a province in our empire, and it's going to be called Judea, and here's the deal, it's like a junior province. It it appears to be the case that the, the, the governor, proconsul, whatever, of Judea isn't really a full-fledged guy. He has to kind of check with the governor of Syria, which is the much bigger deal real province, right? So it's not even just that Judea is an appendage to the Roman Empire. It's an appendage of an appendage of the Roman Empire. Slovenia is a decent uh, uh, analogy there, like a Cold War analogy, where it's this little fraction of Yugoslavia or something.
2: Yeah, the the transition between the independent well, semi-independent kingdoms to uh, being part of being part of the Seleucid Empire essentially to becoming independent and then becoming a Roman province happens in historically a relatively short period of time uh, the the transition is is good and and uh, like this is a weird thing to say about the character the most compelling character from Josephus's book is Herod, right? It's got to be, right? Yeah, oh right. yeah. Like I, I only knew uh, all I really knew about Herod was what you read in the Bible, which is that you know he he was in that in that sort he's an old crazy old man who has like yeah you know, half the children of Bethlehem slaughtered and then he dies, and that's pretty much that's pretty much what you get from from Herod in the biblical narrative. Uh, Josephus goes. From, from basically from his rise to power and like the Scarface story of this guy. And uh, in the first part of it, you're like, well, Herod seems pretty cool, doesn't he? Like he, he, he has a great quote about how like the just cause is an, an advantage in war because God will intervene. Like if my cause is just, that's like a battlefield advantage and that mm. we, should, we should do all these things. And, and uh, he's, a, he's a compelling character. Uh, he, he's, he has a beautiful wife that he simps for and uh
3: <laughs> he, he ended up with nine or ten wives when it was all over and uh that normally doesn't work out so well so the second half the the latter years of his life are a nightmare of paranoia and uh attempted parricide and then yes the suicide and all that but yes herod has this period so to back up a little contextualize we were talking about that hasmonean aristocracy the sort of priestly aristocratic kingly class Herod is not that. Herod's dad is a guy named Antipater. That's his nickname anyway. um, And he is not a Jew. He is, what is he, an Idumean, I guess, Mm -hmm. right? These guys are from sort of the southeastern uh, uh, part of what's now Israel and then bleeding over into Jordan, I guess, which is, you know, marginal. Near Petra, right? Yes, and it's marginal. You know, it's kind of much more desert-like than your image of the Holy Land proper. Uh, These guys are, you know, cousins at best. We were talking about Abrahamic earlier. I forget if these guys are descended from Ishmael or from Esau, but they're sort of one of the other branches off of the tree that doesn't go down the full uh, Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, Israel, Joseph, Egypt line. They stay back. These guys have only recently been brought into the fold. And this is what I meant a little bit about how you have not just a Jewish kingdom, but a Jewish empire here. Because you have this original core of the guys coming back from the exile in Babylon and sort of you know, retconning basically the true faith there. But then after they push back the Seleucids in the second century BC and get some breathing room, uh, they start gobbling up. And then Rome actually encourages this and sort of says, hey, these little tribe over here is a real problem. Why don't you guys handle this? And Herod comes out of that. Antipater and then his son Herod. They start out kind of like the oh gosh what is um Charles Motel and and Charlemagne and Pepin all of that I forget the title but they were the the mayors of the castle not actually yeah, the, yeah the, I know the mayors yeah. of the palace or, or or the Bruce you know instead of the king yeah. And and at some point they decide I yeah, forget that and they and they step on stage and they take over and yes Herod uh Herod the Great is this is this amazing figure um. He's making all kinds of moves. He's playing one side of Rome off against the other. Uh, he, he's making all he knows exactly when to switch sides. So he's uh, <laughs> he appears to be on the senatorial side early on in the Roman Civil War. and then he realizes, that's ah, not going very well. So then he gets with uh, with the Caesarian side. He's homies with Antony and then realizes this <laughs> is not working well. The legend is that he tries to convince Antony Cleopatra's ruining you. Don't be a sim for her. Like just just that that woman's bad news. Who knows if that's true or not? That's- well,
2: according to Josephus, he's talking to Augustus after after the after yeah. Anthony and Cleopatra are dead. He's like, look, I told. Yeah. I, it's it's a great it's a great conversation according according to Josephus. he is like, look. I told Anthony that this hoe is going to destroy you. You need to kill her. I'll help you kill her, and I'll pay whatever we got to do. And, and you know, you and I we're we're, we're close. I, we, you do this, and we'll take care of this, and we'll, we'll fix it all. But he wouldn't listen to me, and you know, and he, then he's he's like an aside to of Augustus. He's like I know, you know that I sided with your enemy, and you and Augustus is not like exactly a very uh, warm and fuzzy person. Ca- Historical figure. He's not. He's not very uh, lenient to to his enemies, especially early on. Herod says, "Look, just remember how good of a friend I was, not whose friend I was. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna do for you what I did, what I did for him. And then we just as loyal of a soldier. And like this is why he's a great transitional figure because he's the ultimate, like he's the ultimate client.
3: Yes." that is that is that is perfect and this gets right back into trying to geography test the patronage theory you know uh bog you've placed a lot of emphasis on dynasties and why dynasties happen uh Mm -hmm. even in a supposedly democratic uh society end up with the daily family you know whoever maybe the kennedys right And it's because that's the closest to immortality you can get, you know, where you say, well, you know, my patronage deal is probably still going to be good with this guy's son. Uh, In the, let's call it domestic patronage paradigm, where you're uh, looking internally to one city or society or whatever, loyalty is key, right? This whole thing I don't think would work in terms of, oh, well, look what a good foot soldier I was for this other guy. So I backstabbed him, but, you, you know, I was against you back then, but but think about how great I am just in the abstract as a foot soldier to be deployed. Does that work in the bus tweed or the mayor daily model, or is it only this foreign policy aspect to it that allows you to kind of switch things up and rewire them?
1: I don't know. I would say that, uh, first off, I mean, people act naive about this, but uh, clearly people understand this. I mean, so, uh, you know there's like a um there's like a tiffany mussolini in politics <laughs> in 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 italy right now that that's not um that that's not a uh, uh that's not that's not an aberration <laughs> and you know there like with henry the 8th or whatever there's even by the way like you know don't we live in a protestant society don't we live in a um uh aren't we supposed to be uh attached to these things like i remember learning about henry the eighth and you just get this sort of and all these adults teaching me about this were like i guess this guy just liked to kill wives i guess mm-hmm. I, I don't understand why why he, this guy was so such a nasty guy and whatever and like um uh you know the corporation ends if he doesn't have a little boy yeah yep. this is the most important thing in the world this this was the, this was this corporate thing that you could be loyal to whether than just like um Uh, being loyal to someone that can, um, you know, uh, get sick and die, et et cetera. And
2: almost not being able to produce a male heir almost destroyed Rome several times. Like this is the the crisis that you were just talking about. It it came about because the Julian's for whatever reason, were not good at having sons and they had to constantly adopt other people's, other people's kids. And like that causes a lot of, that causes a lot of problems. You you have you have a lot of uncertainty and a lot of infighting about who's going to who's going to be the successor.
1: Yes, and people have a very individualist look about this. They'd be like, "Well, what if his son isn't as cool as is his dad? What if?" You... And now you're just talking about just sort of little pieces floating around the world that you can't <laughs> owe favors to, that you can't give things to, that you don't have a, a phone number you call or someone that to, to you send a letter to, or uh, which you do when you have uh when I mean, you have you have the dynasty and by the way i mean so just a, a, uh romania bulgaria a couple other countries switch sides in world war ii i mean for various reasons
3: we and, and you have um now it, it is funny because the period that a lot of people including gibbon point to as the absolute apex of the roman empire is the so-called five good emperors in the second century a.d which are not trying to establish a blood succession. That is very consciously by adoption. Uh, and then the first time there is a blood succession, which Marcus Aurelius to, um, <laughs> Commodus. it falls apart immediately. And I think that, that gladiator actually does it. I mean, apart from the Maximus character who's, who's made up uh, gladiator does a pretty decent job of capturing the dynamics there. Uh, uh, but there's also, this brings it back in the, the home of a patronage and even a populism, There's a sense in which the five good empires, I don't want to overstate this because the republic is long gone. No one's really seriously talking about trying to go back to not having a one big man rule, I I would say, by the time you get to 100 AD, give or take. But there is a relative emphasis on the emergence of the dominant and a god king on the one hand. Versus, uh, hey, aren't we really still an old boys club? Maybe there's a lot of new members in this old boys club, but aren't we really oligarchic after all? And the Flavian mini dynasty, so um, Vespasian, who comes back to put an end to the civil wars in the year of the four emperors in 69 AD. And then his son, Titus, is the first blood son to succeed a Roman emperor ever. I mean that actually didn't happen all that often in the whole history of the whole thing. It happened a lot more in Byzantium, uh, although even there it wasn't all that common. Um, and, and then Titus and then second son Domitian, uh, they are very much, especially Domitian, anti senatorial. And so part of the reason these guys get such a bad rap seems to be yeah. the senators and the and the and their friends. You know, the sort of senatorial elite are the ones that are writing and reading the histories.
1: Yes, and so this. He, yeah. Sorry, this is important. Uh, this is something that people get wrong. Uh, I argue with this is like, mm, I think I have a couple of insights that um, are bigger than than my IQ in terms of. They all come from the patrons thing, and one of them is that nobody understands uh, dictatorship or single rule. So if you look at somewhere like North Korea, or just I'll take any example like whatever people think is the most, the most of one man rule or this kind of thing. And they'll say like North Korea, I I believe North Korea has something like a Senate, some kind of assembly like this. And they'll say like, well, these people, they don't matter. They're irrelevant. And let me tell you, that's not true. Like what, like what you, what they, what they mean is that they basically have no formal authority. However, do you, if you don't think that that guy that goes to Pyongyang, uh, that, and, and sits in the presence of the big man. If you don't think that he gets, that he has favors that he gets from the big man that he distributes to the guys locally or in his branch of the army or whatever, you're crazy. And just like, and just like it, the, these senators still had a power to, they had base, I mean, it's, it sort of gets in the mix of what you're talking about formal or semi formal like formal or not formal. Senators, nobody thinks of them as the power brokers, but they certainly still are brokering lots of things. They're yes. certainly still important players in all this stuff. It's just like uh, when w- the modern United States Senate and Congress basically has no power. I don't know what you... There's a third type of thing that's not formal or informal, but whatever um, state they're in is that they're formally in power, but people know that the Senate and Congress can't really do anything except for, like, give money to Ukraine. However... These people have massive pull. These people, you don't understand the things that can happen from a a senator's letter. This isn't him voting in Congress and doing these things. These people have huge pull. They're massive power brokers. And you will find this in North Korea, in the Soviet Union, in Nazi Germany. I don't care what kind of big man you put in front of me. It is never that simple.
3: Do do the keys to power... As um, your your dictator's handbook and the D- mosquito, I think, calls them right. You, you know, mm-hmm. different types of government might have a bigger or smaller set of those keys, but nobody rules alone. I'm conflating the dictator's handbook with uh, CGP Gray's cartoons based on it. I forget <laughs> which are great, by the way. Uh, I, I forget who came up with this phrase, but no one rules alone.
1: Yes, they never do, and um, the the people that are in these assemblies. They will often tell you that they do, especially after the thing is over. Uh, after world war two, there was no German that had any power at all, except for Adolf Hitler, mm. you know, <laughs> he made every bad decision there ever was,
3: he hypnotized um, everybody. And yeah,
1: you yeah. know, during, during the war, he's constantly trying to do this alliance with that, a guy and this guy, because at any moment, all the Prussians could have gotten together and kicked him out. Uh, but in, sorry, no, go ahead. They definitely like so with Stalin after after Hitler invaded Stalin just sort of ran away and cried and drank yeah. a lot. The guy showed up to his house.
3: They thought he was going to kill him.
1: They were he like my, yeah. I'm dead because if had had there been anyone else that had any kind of um aspirations False. <laughs> He's like, of course I'm, but he did because, um, you know, if that's I why was, he
3: spent, that's why he spent the previous twelve years killing anybody who could have possibly tried to make such a move.
1: Yeah, but like, if he had gotten that call, he would have come with a gun to kill the guy. He's like, okay, you, you're here, go ahead and shoot me. And they're like, you know, no, Comrade Stalin, we we just want to uh, uh, help you out. But yeah, well, th-
3: th- this is why the point you always make is the guys who die in their bed or in a puddle of their own piss on the floor of their study. In Stalin's case, uh, uh, the guys who die in their bed it's because they do the purge
1: yes, yes. Or, or uh go ahead okay so th- this is something that i think um i was going to do some i don't really tweet about politics anymore because um i a podcast uh so <laughs> what i what i do is i tweet i get ready to tweet it out i write it out and then i copy it in a notepad so today i always had this thing i want to talk and because um you can't word anything on twitter to where, uh, like, I've never told a joke on Twitter where someone didn't like, um, you know, if you say why did the chicken cross the road, people are like, why would a chicken need to cross the road? <laughs> uh, you know, chickens don't have any places to be. What do you talk like? You you just get this no matter what. So, um, anyways, there's there there there's a lot of talk about Hunter Biden. And the thing about Hunter Biden, so step one is that Hunter Biden has no relevance. Uh, you know, isn't there like a Tiffany Trump or something like that? Yes. Oh, like um, you know, Tiffany Trump, whatever she does, I don't, I, I don't know her. but Like, it's not relevant politically, as far as I know. Hunter Biden has no relevance politically, except for being a bagman for his dad. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, that's step one. But a lot of people understand that. But step two is that. The law does not matter to Joe Biden unless all the guys were in togas in D.C. They don't wear togas mm-hmm. anymore. They were unhappy with him.
3: Which you're starting to see a little flag. I don't want to be too optimistic if this is even optimism, but you're starting to see just in the last couple of days and weeks some signs that uh, mm-hmm. some of the Crocs. guys in togas are, are rethinking whether this is really the horse they want to ride into 24 on yes are you picking up on that vibe
1: yes and if there had been a massive purge and i'm not saying there should have or anything but like you like you could definitely um you could do a huge purge in dc to where these questions of like
3: minecraft yeah in minecraft uh, sorry i mean i shouldn't
1: i shouldn't use that word but I, i mean people people um being reassigned or not having their job anymore that um no one's getting beheaded retire
2: all government employees <laughs>
3: yeah and i <laughs> don't think yeah the arvin plan all that yep. yeah i
1: don't yep. think people are going to get beheaded anyways like the most brutal surrenders like um you know the united states like told like japan and germany like no like we can do anything to us if you surrender you know the germans like well why would we surrender to you then it's like well because otherwise you have to surrender to the russians <laughs> uh, so
2: now we really didn't do that. If we had actually done that, it would have been much. Would we would have been much better off, right? But uh we did that to Japan,
1: though. and so like we, you know we might we, we could do anything we want to. Even still, um it wasn't you know people got to do other things. A couple people it wasn't the
2: Carthaginian peace for either <clears throat> of those countries. Yeah,
1: yeah. So it's it's not it's not going to be like that. Especially won't be like that today. But either way, like you you could have had you could have something like that. Whereas like what's hunter biden doing in ukraine that's it he's going to jail all these people are never going to be in office again you could you could certainly have that and so and those people i because like you any of those people that can make that decision are officially and you, you know you could ask someone like if you picked one of them out of a crowd where you say like is this person politically relevant I'm like no not really but uh they do have some relevance and if you ask these people over history they'll always tell you like oh no we have no power we have no power
3: But there have been times, both very recently and then in the ancient world, where it really was for all the marbles and it wasn't just who was going to get the goodies, but it was existential. An example of that, Mark, you referred to the Thucydides' history of the Peloponnesian War Mm -hmm. a while ago. So Peloponnesian War is in the late 400s BC, a conflict between um, Athens and its allies slash subjects and Sparta and its allies slash subjects. And the way he portrays it anyway, when they come to loggerheads, this democracy, and Athens was, you know, I mean, you know, the women couldn't vote and all that. But, like, there was a radical experiment in mass democracy, direct participatory democracy, where even, like, strategic decisions for military moves were mm-hmm. decided by mass majority vote, which... You know, I don't know if anybody's ever tried to do that before. The initial,
2: probably. yeah, the initial Persian War over, over the Ionian Revolt, allegedly, if you if you believe the story, was it was a it was a vote. I like then her and her was Herodotus, I uh, for, forget who. Uh, basically, they, they took a, in Athens, they took a vote and they decided, and the democracy decided, yeah, we should intervene in this war, and it <laughs> set off the entire per, the, the Greco Persian Wars.
3: And you have so you have that on the one hand, and then you have Sparta, which is you know. About as opposite as you can be it is a very small elite warrior you know not hunta but but you know an aristocracy or a curiarchy right the, the the lords you know they, they rule by force but they're not can defending. i say the
2: quote yeah the the quote where they they ask, someone asked the king as far as like hey these greeks got the democracy you know the, the uh, sorry the, the athenians do have the democracy thing maybe we should try that and allegedly the king tells him okay start with your family yeah. <laughs> oh, start with your household. Yeah, rip from yeah.
3: today's headlines. Although, although a lot of new laws being passed in various states. Uh, that's that's, that's <laughs> exactly what's happening. But but that that you see that the Peloponnesian War and the whole conflict, the whole uh, Cold War and then Hot War between Athens and Sparta that leads up to it uh, sets off in each of the Greek city states. Seem to have a, a civil war. Uh, the word he uses for it is, is stasis or stasis. Which, mm-hmm. you know, sounds like static, not moving, but no, it means like a, like a, uh, this is, I think, what the Arabs call a fitna, right? the civil war, like an internal fight, which are always the most violent. I wonder, when I was reading Josephus, I tried to see it through this lens. In other words, are the, are the optimar, optimates versus populares split in the fall of the Roman Republic in the first century B.C.? does that map onto somehow the rise of Herod and these like mercenary, not full Jews uh, to supplant the aristocracy, which Josephus repeatedly calls it of the priestly and aristocratic guys who were running the show, but didn't really get the job done. I wanted to see that. And you can see little hints of it here and there that the Herod dynasty is going to go with the new, uh, kind of populist but then also emperor way of doing things but there's a limit to that because even if you're a populist in your own home people if you are occupying militarily some far-flung province i don't care how man of the common people champion of the common people you are in your home turf you're not going to play that game when you're in a foreign war or are you because josephus does make a point of saying that Titus, Vespasian's son, Vespasian goes back to the emperor and then Titus has to do the final mop up of Jerusalem. Josephus portrays the final siege of Jerusalem as as that the common people of Jerusalem do not want to keep resisting and that there's this he calls them gang <laughs> I mean it's translated in the English version gangsters this clique this conspiracy is sort of forcing them to keep rebelling against the Romans and that Titus, Vespasian's son supposedly pities and weeps for the common people and like the mob of not mob but the common people the plebs right of Judea more broadly and then specifically Jerusalem that's a very interesting idea of being a populist for the people the common people of the area that you're conquering
1: oh that's this is Julius this is what Julius Caesar would do all the way and uh, it's very simple this is this is a good move for any sort of colonizer type person because uh, no matter who, you, like generally, if you're the colonizer, <clears throat> if you're the Spanish walking to the to the Aztecs or, or or the Mayas or whatever, th- there's not really any way that whatever that whatever you, that you, them playing ball with you is going to improve the lives of the current elite. It can't. I mean, like. Now, some of them can break off and split and stuff like that, but, um, uh, you know, it's, it's not going to, you're going, they're going to lose some power and, but this is not true for the non elite. And so it's always a great move to say, to look at the, look at the middle class or even the lower classes and say, Hey, what do you guys think about some new management? it might be you know it, it, and like you you know we the the, the the hilarious example everybody knows is that people the Slavic people would you know they had um, when the at different points the the Soviets or the or the Nazis roll in they're like hey welcome the Nazis we love you just you know uh, uh, we would like you to take over be the new management and then the Soviets yeah hey, it''d be nice to have you be the new management uh, but either way like um, uh, you know being the king of the Gallic tribe, uh, it's not good to meet the Romans.
3: But being everybody else, he might be a better deal. In uh, in, in Catch-22, at the end, uh, there's an old man in the whorehouse tells Yossarian, uh, I was a monarchist under Vittorio Emanuele, and then I was a fascist under Mussolini, uh, and now I'm going to be a good uh, a capitalist now that you guys are here. And Yossarian is horrified by this. He says, no, but it's better to 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 die as a, a, a lion, then live as a coward, and the and the old man says, "No, I'm sorry. I think you have that exactly backwards."
1: <laughs> well, uh, you know, this is one of these things about scale. Like, I'm sorry. Like, there's only so much you can do. Like, if you're Slovenia, you know, you can't you can't just throw the gauntlet at Germany or the United States or et, et cetera.
2: Well, that's exactly what they, this is exactly what happens. But
1: you can do that if you play sides of major powers, which by the way, like we we did this, we did this in the South and you know, the game plan of the South winning would have either been, there's, there's two game ways that the South would have won the the civil war. One of them is the North that Lincoln loses an election, which is, this is the whole playing up their civil war. We will say civil war, but just in their internal reds and blues conflict, or uh, we had we got some help from an outside superpower, and this is because this is the way that all civil wars are fought. All like there's because you're the you're the little you're the little guy, and so I mean unless you're in the, the actual superpower, if you're the little guy, the way to win the civil war is always to cut a deal with the big guys.
2: Yeah. Well. You you can argue this is how this is how the the Eponymous War really gets gets kicked off because in the twilight of the Seleucid Empire you have factions in Judea who are allied with the the Seleucids and then factions who are begging Rome for help every time the Seleucids try to bring down the hammer they. Some of these people run to their, to their Roman benefactors, and it's and important.
3: Kind of, and it's a, real quick. It's important to note here that back that far, it is not Caesar. It's not any big man. It's the Senate of Rome that they're writing yeah. to, saying, "Hey, help us out here."
2: Yeah, I mean, Pompey's probably the first figure that comes, like that comes in, who's kind of operating in this area. He's still under the, under the auspices of the Senate, but. A lot of this is like his own personal power. Right. Like he he's friends with he's friends with the the, the king of Egypt, and he's got friends he, friends here, and uh, he goes and le- looks around at the temple, but he doesn't he doesn't touch anything. You know, they 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 have a very a very different view of the Romans during this time. Then you have uh, <laughs> the the Herodian dynasty, which is like. Hare is so funny because this is, he's a perfect transitionary figure because, like, he's like, um, you know, you have, a, like, a crazy elderly relative who, like, changes his will every 15 minutes when he gets mad at somebody yeah. in the family. It's, he, he literally does that, and, like, uh, Augustus Caesar has to mediate his disputes with his, with his uh, sons, and he ends up, like, killing almost all of his sons. So it's a... a, a there was a great anecdote in there. I don't know if it was like if it was true, but uh, after he killed like his third son, Augustus said it's better to be Herod's pig than his son, <laughs> because at least he won't kill the pig. <laughs> <There's, laughs> can't can can allow really make that joke on Patreon. It's well, two thousand years old. It
1: took me a second to get that.
3: And and this is why it, it, having to dis, uh, 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 arbitrate these disputes between the, the, the Herod's heirs. Is what makes Augustus slash Rome Inc decide. You know what? Forget this. And that's when they just say you're a province now.
2: Right. And this is why this is such a. This is a mistake, by the way. Like when you every time Herod get, runs to Rome to beg for help, you're make you're you're giving them a little bit of boost. You're, in, you're in, getting your like,
3: attention real up
2: close and personal. Yeah, first. exactly.
1: Let me tell you, I get this feeling all the time. <clears throat> like um, you ever like read in the news? that um this'll occasionally happen like um uh but people that have a conflict somewhere else in the world well that both sides of this conflict will move to the United States and then they'll 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 could carry this conflict out in the United States you know what i mean uh, i guess yeah. a, 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 yeah. a more a peaceful ex- uh, not peaceful but like an example would be like uh turks and armenians like they really really insult each other like, um, is it Turks and Armenians? Yes. Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, over here. And whenever oh. I get that, I'm just like, I get that, that colonizer feeling like both you people need to leave.
3: <laughs> you know what in, I mean? In, in uh, in, in, Salt Lake city, uh, there are running wars between the Samoan Crips and the Tongan Crips because the Mormons, uh, evangelized so heavily in, uh, Pacific islands. And a lot of them came back to Salt Lake city. But you have all of these feuds going on between these different island nations for hundreds of years, and now they're being carried out on the mean streets of Salt Lake City, which actually isn't a joke. Southwest Salt Lake City gets a little raw, and and it's it's because of this exact same conflict. And there does seem to be the attitude, the Roman attitude is like the exasperated parent or teacher who at some point is like, I don't care who started it, I don't care whose fault it is, the next, you know, unless everybody shuts up and just stops paying their taxes and calms down, we're going to kill all of you. Not because <laughs> we hate you, we're not angry, we yeah. just, we need I, I get that exact
1: feeling whenever these things, whenever this comes up. And it, I don't know if that's, like, I, is there any logical reason for that? I, not really. I, I mean, not that I know of, but either way, um, uh Yeah.
3: There's also like a Cold War analogy. I mean, most obviously, you kind of see this in today, but, but you certainly saw it in the Cold War. You know, we didn't go directly to war with them. But every time that any conflict broke out anywhere on Earth, we were there and they were there and they had their side and our side. And it didn't really matter. I mean, in theory, they were always for the workers and we were for the pro-Western <laughs>
0: development. <laughs> yes.
3: But but in theory, right, it, that, that that got thrown out the window in five seconds, depending on what the local contours were. The, the Cold Warriors were, were obsessed with this uh, analogy to the Peloponnesian War, that the Cold War, mm-hmm. they thought, was inevitably going to drift into a direct hot war between USA and USSR. Uh, Daniel Ellsberg, who died not that long ago, I think was particularly haunted by this. You know, they'd all read about this in college. And then, You you know, they 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 saw themselves getting sucked into going over the waterfall, where there was no way to avoid that, because uh, every it's sort of like police shootings. I've heard you say, Bob. You know, we're a country of three hundred and thirty million people. If we're going to have riots every time that someone is caught on video getting shot by the cops, we're going to be having a lot of riots. Mm -hmm. And 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 this is the international version of that. If both of the big power blocks are going to get sucked into every local conflict. Uh, they're going to be getting sucked into a lot of conflicts because the world is full of conflict.
1: My, my favorite of this is, uh, uh, I think, I think he comes up. I think he comes up. Dick tears hand, but, but uh, Sessi Seiko Mabutu.
3: Yeah, Sese Seiko, the 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 rooster who you know has a thousand hens or whatever it, it was his nickname, supposedly.
1: <laughs> yeah, like every, every you know every five minutes he's like, I've been pondering, you know, the I've been pondering the writings of, of Karl Marx. You know, I've been thinking like. Uh, at the end later on you know he's like i might be a, a commu like and you know the outside world like oh the Congo is gonna become a communist country or a capitalist country like th- th- this has nothing to do with any of this stuff you know later on he <laughs> he says um I-, I don't believe in capitalism or communism i'm thinking about a third way you know which is that's exactly that's that's fascist. none of this stuff makes any it doesn't matter uh you know uh in that kind of thing but for so people from the outside um would, would see it that way well, here, I have a quick one. Did, did like, the neocon guys, The like, did they ever want to um, settle uh, the Cyprus question? I could have been for that. That would have been, like, a much... Mm. Uh, except for the fact that uh, Turkey's very um, uh, militarily powerful. I mean, they, they sort of punch above their weight. But um, I guess nobody wanted to fight Turkey, but um, that would have been a much more fun... Um, adventure than like uh, a lot of these other ones.
2: The Greeks, the Greeks, uh, junta or whatever dictatorship that fell right around the time this happened. Obviously, they lost the well, mandate of heaven from from the West because otherwise they wouldn't it would, they wouldn't have allowed this to happen to them. Like that's a, that's a big part of that. Uh, there might have been an intervention in Cyprus if not for that. But yeah, also Turkey was was even more important. Then than this today you got yeah, you gotta get
1: some credit to um Christopher Hitchens was the only he was the yep. and I, he wasn't a neocon then he was the only person um he has there's a great documentary where he has where he he uh he goes to and films the places in the 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 now Turkic side which had been like just taken and he shows it to these big families that used to live there for they were forced out these people were you know all these things that supposedly are red lines you know the population it forced out and and um, all this kind of stuff, and it didn't seem like the West gave an ass.
2: Well, I mean, we did population transfers after World War II. We did them. We we we, the, we did a huge population transfer in in Eastern Europe, for, uh, places that were German. Well, we
3: what do well, we, we, we mean? We? we 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 weren't occupying Eastern Europe. That was, that was that was some other people who were doing that. Although, may, maybe that was just another branch of we on, on this perspective.
1: What, I, what what he, what is that whatever Russia's doing in former prussia now
3: like oh that little the little enclave that would um
2: konigsberg I hope, yeah.
1: I hope they enjoy that because um i don't know prussia seemed like a lot more historical civilization to be had there all the people well, got forced that's, out.
2: that was my point like you know the the land that the what is now western poland was german land i don't mean that like as in like you know oh the 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 guy with the mustache like 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 literally german people had lived there for for hundreds and hundreds of years and and they
3: were and they were probably offering the same bargain or trying to to the poles that antiochus epiphanes was to the jews right which is or you know just like Learn our language and act like us, and you can have all sorts of good stuff. Otherwise, uh, it's not going to be so fun.
2: I say we because after World War One, we made the initial decision. And then during World War II, and Bob Beef alluded to it, like the, the, the demand for unconditional surrender from Germany effectively gave yeah. control of, of Eastern Europe to the USSR. And, and and a lot of people at the time knew this. Uh, you, can, you can make your own determinations about, why the people who ran America thought that was a good idea. but yeah, I think that we that uh, what happened in in Europe, the population transfers after the war uh, happened with our support and if if we didn't physically do it, it, would, it, we, it we had they had our seal of approval.
3: and also the Woodrow Wilson not to beat that dead horse too much we did all that <laughs> on it, but, but the, you know Woodrow Wilson's national self-determination push leads to this inevitably. Because everybody's mingled together like a, yeah. like like a Legos, you know, in a box or whatever, right? From these millennia of what we've been talking about here. Well, if everybody gets their own country, you're going to need to start moving people around to make the lines work.
2: It's exactly yeah, and that's uh, this is one of the funny things. Like you know, the even people who are um, like, if you ask a progressive person today, they would probably say like the post colonialism and uh, was was a really good thing, but that is. That is exactly what happened in these places. You had, uh board, <laughs> borders redrawn, people moved and killed, and uh, to to uh, fit into this, uh, the the a weird mix of nation state and and vassal nations. It's it was it was bizarre, and uh you you can understand why. Like in America, we, we don't have strong opinions about Wilson or if we do, I think the, the, when I was growing up, the story of him was like, oh, he was naive and idealistic and his heart was in the right place, but he didn't do a good job because he had a stroke. Like, no, actually his ideas were horrible. They were like, they were like evil. It doesn't really matter if, if, if you think that like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to, uh. Let's kill all the sparrows in China because they're eating the grain and then you know millions of people die because locusts eat the crops. Like it doesn't matter what your intention was. You did something evil. Like you did something bad. And what Woodrow Wilson did was was bad and it was beyond naive. Like when you when you do something naive that causes uh I, you you could lay a lot a lot at his uh, his feet. You could lay World War Two at his feet. And there's well, you, something for
3: everybody to hate, right? Both, yes, both b- both libs can hate him, and then everybody else can hate him. The only people who like who, who still have any time for him are you know Atlantic Council types.
2: Yeah, the fucking yes, yeah, sorry, yes, those <laughs> the scum of the earth, and it, it kind of uh, go ahead, bogey.
1: Well, this is where you have um, um, you know Hitler Hitler is the. Uh, you know, he, had, he had the, the low IQ version. He's like, hmm, well, I have people that aren't Germans here. I guess I'll have to kill them. Yeah. Adit- Turk has the 200 IQ version. It's like, hmm, the people that's not Turks.
3: Well, you, now you're all Turks. You're not Turks. That's <laughs> it. Young Turks, you're your Ocean Turks. And, and, and that's some of what Herod and uh, is doing. Or, I mean, Herod is one of these not real full Jews. Uh, both Galilee and Idumea which is the southeastern part that Herod comes from, and then the northwestern part, Galilee, they are, I mean, there's no polite way to put this. I think the notes to my edition of Josephus says they are forcibly Judaized at some point in the second century BC, uh, including, you know, involuntary circumcision of all all males, regardless of age is the implication. (sighs) Yeah, so that now, you know...
1: My uh, my cousin went to to NYU, the same thing happened to
3: him. (laughs) But it's... (laughs) <laughs> but, but, but you have, you know, and Mark, this, this is a different angle on what we were talking about of, you know, when the Germans uh, take down the Western Roman Empire. You know, what are we really talking about here? Are we talking about 10,000 guys or are we talking about a million people? Right. Well, if you can wave a wand and say, you're now in my group and if you keep claiming you're not in my group, I'm going to kill you. Uh, it sort of obscures things later on for people trying to figure out kind of what exactly 100
2: like, becomes a million pretty quick in yeah, that, under yeah, those circumstances. It,
3: it, it, you, get that, you get that ball rolling. But so we've got, you, you know, um, one yeah. side note did you guys notice there's a cameo in the first book of the Jewish Wars uh, right around the time that they get made into a province? Quintilius Varus shows up. He's almost like the Forrest Gump of uh, the Augustan era. Where, you know, Varus is the guy who ends up getting BTFO'd by the Germans, which sort of halts Roman expansion up into into what's now Germany. Uh, but before this, he was, uh, I don't know if he, he wasn't a governor, because they weren't a province yet. He was whatever, you know, legate of Rome in Judea. And there is, this is uh, right around the time of the birth of Christ. Uh, he puts the smack down pretty violently as well. So the war that you have in 66 to 70 AD, which is the main focus of Josephus's work. I mean, he says at the beginning this was the biggest war of all time. It was the most important, had the most people dead. I think that's pretty obviously puffery. Just the scale does not support that. Uh, but it's pretty clear that the stuff where they were fighting against the Seleucids, the the moves Herod was making, uh, Quintilius Varus having to put a pretty violent smack down, them getting made a province, that's all over and done with by 6 AD. Sixty years later, you have this one rebellion which leads to the destruction of the temple, which is uh, famously memorialized on a victory arch in the Roman Forum um, <laughs> but in that intervening period, you know, there's the irony here uh, I think Tacitus has a line somewhere in Tacitus' histories, hang on, i got a pile of books here, I think he's describing this period and he said i got to find this, he says something like of course now I can't, oh yeah under Tiberius, all was quiet. Okay, well, what happened under Tiberius in Israel? The ministry, crucifixion, and resurrection of Christ happened. Right? <laughs> so from the, from the from the perspective of, of, uh, of our civilization and our faith, this is the pivotal moment in human history. And for Tacitus, it wasn't even a Tuesday. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it didn't even meet the M Bison Tuesday test.
2: Hey, speaking of uh, cameos, that's one I was I had been when I was looking to, to, through the notes. Uh, I was looking at the list of the leaders of the first great revolt, and uh, here's one of them, Eleazar Ben hananiah Mm-hmm. That I, anyway, I I
3: noticed that name. Um, that, ah. that name uh, Hanania shows up a lot in the Old Testament as well. Um, I think it's one of the priests that are taken from Jerusalem to Babylon. And then are part of the <laughs> restoration afterwards. Uh, is, is is that name H uh, A? You know, transliterated as Hanania. Oh, yeah. no, uh, it's it's, it's, it's here.
1: Is Varus? Um, is that Sextus Quintilius Varus or Adius Varus? Or I don't know.
3: Was... This could be. Let's see. So, is it a different Varus? If so, I'm gonna I'm gonna be embarrassed here.
2: I I I, I wasn't sure if it was the same Varus. This, 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 the, the the big problem with the, this book. And I didn't. You didn't have this problem with I, I, like if you're reading. If you're reading like some of the Greek histories, it's like okay, uh, we're talking about Caesar, but uh, you could be Julius Caesar, Augustus, or like 15 different guys. There's 15 different Herods. There's like 20 different Hyrcanuses. I think there might have been two Antigonuses, too, but I'm not sure.
3: Yes, no, it, there were an Aristobulus Aristobo- and all. There's at least two of yeah. almost all of these names.
2: Yeah. Okay,
1: it's- Publius Quint- Quintilius varus was a roman general politician okay i think he that guy died in nine. so that guy's guy yeah, that, yeah.
3: that's our guy his dad was one of the senatorial conspirators i don't know if he actually stabbed caesar but he was in on it and then he killed himself it looks I, I, i'm going off a wiki here to i'll be honest uh, uh the dad offs himself i assume after the senate the senate loses the civil war and then his son again rehabilitated you know he's still part of the machine right he's 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 if his son survived the civil wars, he's going to keep going on and be part of the new machine. And then he, after kind of bungling things to some extent in Judea ends up really bungling things in Germany. <laughs> uh, but it's a sort of sense of he's the picket or the custer, right. Of the, of the, of the Roman empire. Um, it's just not, it's just not going great. Um, the, but, but so, so you have, you know, this 60 year period where, according to the Roman hive brain of, of this elite senatorial inflected history nothing's really going on there apart from the Messiah and you know the birth of the the true faith and the and the what would eventually uh, take over the world but other than that nothing really happens and then you get to the 60s I was a little puzzled Josephus does not do a great job explaining why this rebellion breaks out did you get the same impression that it, it, it it, it's not as clear, because Caligula, oh, the script over one, which is Caligula, late 30s AD, supposedly Caligula is also going to pull in an Antiochus and force the Jews to worship him as Zeus and to sort of assimilate into you know pagan Roman culture. Uh, the legend is that Caligula had sent orders... No more pussy, you know, no more messing around. <laughs> either the, either the statue of me as Zeus goes up in the temple or you kill them all. And I think the legend is that after he got got, after Caligula got assassinated, they sent a faster boat to say, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. It's all good. Let's just let's just chill. <laughs> you, you you hear these kind of stories a lot. This is a trope in ancient history, so I don't know if it really literally happened that way. But it's interesting to tell, you, you know, Josephus blames flack
2: joe flacco <laughs> <Flack> is, <laughs> right doesn't he isn't pretty much who he blames for the for the whole mess it's, like, it's, he's the inciting incident 30 years before or whatever by way. And then he, yeah
1: quick point about for uh well sorry continue I, I, this, yeah. uh, this is just a quick point about when i was looking this up uh for materialist people and talking about earlier about like were the romans religious or were they the practical people uh, and so when I was looking this up on Wikipedia, the, this this article about Varus, it also contains references, and there's other things on Wikipedia where you can find, uh, you know, today this documented in, in 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 these large encyclopedias. It says um, it talk, it talks about the exact date that three different eagles were taken from Varus, and the exact date that they were recovered. Now, other people know, but there's no material significance to a Roman. Eagle it's, yeah, it's just not a,
3: made out of kryptonite or anything yeah it's, it's just yeah.
1: important because they want it to be because they believe in it. it's like it's like it's like saying I guess it's like saying Jimi Hendrix's guitar or something
2: it's like it's your mascot if, if, if you're a college football team somebody steals your mascot that's a that's a, a blow somebody messes with your you know there so there is no so don't get
1: it twisted these people they aren't they believe in things yes you know that is pure belief the, the, you know we're, they're talking about this thing like it's um like it's the plans to the death star or or
3: uh, a zillion dollars no it's 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 a it's nothing it's just a totem um they, they believe in things plural what mm-hmm. they do not do is they will not they can't even comprehend of the Jews and then later the Christians who believe in one thing. It's like a fox hedgehog kind of thing going on here, right? Where, you, you know, the Roman mind is like, yes, the, 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 the eagles are important. And in some sense they embody, you know, the genius of Rome in them, but the woods and the trees and all, yeah, yeah, that's all important too. They all got little spirits too. They're just subordinated to our Imperial Eagle for the Jews. And then later the Christians to say, no, they're not. There's one, ultimate divine reality here that underlies everything, uh, is that Pompey supposedly goes into the temple, the innermost sanctum of the temple in Jerusalem. Into the Holy is, of Holies. And he is shocked because there's nothing in there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's candelabras and stuff, but there's no statue of a, of a dude or a bull or nothing, right? And he, he sort of doesn't take anything. It, uh, I think Josephus makes a point of saying Pompey, unlike, I think Anthony does take it later on, right? But Pompey doesn't touch anything.
0: Yeah,
1: Pompey he, Pompey is the ones notes that he was a, that Pompey was a a uh, a virtuous man. He said that that he was very respectful about it. Um he said, Well, look, you have to let me in there because I have to make sure that you're you can't tell me there's a place I can't go because I, you could be hiding gold from me or something like that. Right. Uh, so you gotta let or me weapons. in
3: weapons or weapons too.
2: Yeah. Right. And I, I, I wanted to make sure I, I got this, but I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. But we were talking. About what was the inciting incident in the in the of the actual war? And it wasn't Flaccus. It was uh, the Jews were crowding apace to their synagogue. A certain man of Caesarea, of a seditious temper, got an earthen vessel and set it with. The bottom upward, and at the entrance of that synagogue, sacrificed birds, which was uh, you, you're you're not you're not supposed to do that. Uh, so an evil an evil an evil Gentile started sacrificing birds. The reason, and, and this is an intentional provocation, and I, I mean the reason I I interrupted you rudely was because, and this is this is not from Josephus. This is from uh this is from another source. In reaction, one of the Jewish temple clerks comma. Eleazar ben Hanania ceased <laughs> prayers and sacrifices for the Roman emperor at the temple. So, if you want to know why the two 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 war begins, because Eleazar ben Hanania picked a fight with the with the uh, <clears throat> with this the Roman seems emperor. Smaller ball, but you see what I'm saying. This seems
3: like less of an outrage and provocation on both sides than the uh, Antiochus, you know, turning it into a, a butcher shop. Uh, or Caligula saying, "No, you will put a statue of me right up in your holy of holies." You know, this seems like a rebellion in search of Casa's belly rather than the other way yes. around. For both sides, yes, yes. That that you know, um, there's something different about this. This this province seems to function a little differently, and <laughs> it seems like this was an opportunity that some factions in Rome, maybe all factions in Rome by this point, were saying. Uh, let's take this opportunity of this rebellion to settle things and not have one. You know, uh, we don't want one of these things to be not like the others uh, any anymore.
1: Most contested. The old joke. The old, most contested part of the Middle East has no oil.
3: Yep.
2: Yeah, and, and uh, there had been little skirmishes beforehand, uh, even between the Romans and then a lot of a lot between the factions of the Judean kingdoms themselves. But we, when we get to the big one here. Uh, this is when the eye of Soren finally gets cast down, and uh, they they send in a couple legions. It's not it's not, it's not a little local yep. disturbance. Yep. Time. They send in they send in the big guns, and uh, it doesn't go well for for the for the, the people who live in Judea. Uh, this is where we can pick up Josephus's narrative that I, I cut you off from earlier, because it's it's like the it's the the first person account in his story, and it's real interesting they they're surrounded and he ends up with some of his uh fellow soldiers and like there's a lot of them and these are probably other important people other aristocrats like Josephus and they're surrounded and they decide that they're going to they're going to commit mass suicide rather than be captured
3: so they say that's what they're going to do <laughs>
2: Some of them decide to kill themselves.
3: them. Decide- and then what is it? They, they, they It's a little confusing the way he describes it. But-
2: <laughs> you yeah, know how they use that passive voice yeah. in like police shootings? Like, the officer's gun yeah. discharge. Yeah. There <laughs> was, there like- was,
3: yeah. So there was a Josephus-involved tontine that, uh, that didn't work out the way that everybody else seemed to think it was. What does he say? He says, um, we're going to kill each other. We're going to draw I- lots and kill each other.
2: He, he makes it sound like it was his idea, and, he, and then his selling point, and I, I'm, I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but I misunderstood the, the the way it was written. The selling point was, if we do it this way, we'll make sure that nobody pussies out in the yes. end and is yes. left alive. And this yes. is Joseph Josephus' idea to kill themselves by drawing lots. Like, I'll draw a lot, and then I'll kill you, and then this person will draw, and we'll, and we'll go down the line until finally we're all dead. And... Uh, at the end, Josephus walks out the cave. I don't think he's alone, right? Then, like, t- one like other guy. one
3: other guy, I think, who finally gives up with him.
2: Yeah, and this is of uh, a point of contention among like uh the uh, he doesn't have a great reputation with Jewish people uh throughout history. That's and that, that you could see why. Like you you are the sole survivor of a suicide pact against like the mm-hmm. the uh, the people who ransacked the temple, destroyed the the, the whole, you know, the holiest site of your religion. And then uh he becomes first the slave, was it the Vespasian?
3: Yes. Yes. Yeah, he becomes He's in chains when when he interacts with uh, with Vespasian, who at this point I don't think has been no, he hasn't been proclaimed emperor yet. He's just a general at this point. Josephus is manacled in shackles when he when he interacts with him. First, the first time when he interacts with him, and what he and he tells him news that Vespasian's pretty happy to hear. He says, "Oh, great general! You ain't going to be just a general. You yeah. are going to be running this whole show real soon. You are going to be the emperor. You're going to be <laughs> El Mac Mohafe."
2: Uh, in an in in exciting turn of events and unexpected, the guy who's captured by this guy has a prophecy that 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 his yeah. captor is going to become the the most powerful guy in the world. And you know this. Uh, it was funny. You, do you like Gorb? We talked about Gorbodol. Did you like oh, yeah. Gorbodol too? Oh, you, yeah. You've read. So I'm sure you've read Julian, right? Yes, yes. We've probably talked about this before. I have a memory we'll of we should, we'll
3: talk about Julian a few minutes in the first or second uh, gig I did with you guys, but not not too long though.
2: So from the point of view of Priscus in the book, he, he's there's this, there's a, a, a like a mystic, a Hellenic mystic, with Julian like Maximinus or something like mm. that. And Priscus hates him because like he's a he's a fraud. He he he's, he makes all these predictions, but like. The I mean, the story leaves it vague as to whether you're to believe that Priscus is wrong and this guy did see the future, but like he 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 manages to successfully predict where Julian dies, and then like he predicts the de- the deaths of like the 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 uh the two emperors but like all of his predictions to julian are exactly what julian wants to hear at the the time so i was i was thinking like that's a really that's a bold move uh, that you it's not really available to people in the modern era you can't just like you couldn't get captured by like uh well i guess you say like isis or or, or iran and be like i just had a vision (laughs) 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 the shah is i don't think you can do that anymore no i mean i mean you i mean you, you
3: You know, the very, very weak echo of that is uh, prominent political commentators sort of switching sides ostentatiously <laughs> in America. So, like, think of uh, David Brock, wasn't really prominent before he did that, but, you know, uh, uh, like Pat Cadell, right, who started out doing polls for Carter and made his bones with the Carter campaign as a Linderkind when he sort of, you know, became a very pro Trump voice. Right? Dick that, Morris. That, that's, yeah, Dick Morris. But that's, you know, they're not in shackles and they're not getting their head cut off. So so no one's there's a wonderful in I, Claudius. Uh, this is good in the book, but then it is one of the best things in the uh, show is Tiberius has a soothsayer. I think Thrasilus is his name. And there's all of these there's these great scenes with, you know, he says, you've been prophesying that my luck was this is before Tiberius becomes emperor when he's in exile. He's been telling this guy, uh, I'm running out of patience with your prophecies and I'm going to throw you off this cliff. But then the boat that's coming has news that he's been summoned back and he's back in the good graces of Augustus. And so the guy gets to live uh, the, the, the uh, horoscopes and stuff like that. And divination, you know, it's a big thing. And this gets into how religious or how materialist are these guys. Uh, they're certainly not scientifically materialist. Maybe the... Um, what do you call them? Epicureans were to some extent, but that's, that's very fringe and and very theoretical. Mm -hmm. Uh, they really cared, you know, the birds and all that. I mean, they weren't really devout about it, but they really, really wanted to try to know what was going on. And you see this all through the old Testament too. Um, there are prophets and prophets are legit, but you are not supposed to go off road and just start asking witches and warlocks to, to tell the future for you. That is a huge no, no. And when the King's uh, when the when the when the pre-babylonian captivity kings do that that is a sign that those are the worst of the worst kings who are going down hard
1: yeah in Caesar's Diaries it <clears throat> what I get from it is that um, it's important for Caesar to go to go to one of the go to the auger but Caesar definitely does not believe the other like the uh, Germans augers and stuff mm. he, he thinks they're just bullshit.
3: my my guy with the chickens is good but Mm -hmm. you're with with the hawks no i don't i don't i don't like that but he does but so josephus does narrate his own switching sides now (laughs) there is um there is a version of the story and i think it comes in like a slavic language manuscript and in that version of the story in, in that version of the story josephus just straight up says i rigged the straw pole so that i would be the last guy to survive it is uh, ambiguous in the Greek version, which then is the source of these, you know, modern English translations. He, it, It's left a little more ambiguous. The, but the, the implication is either he was extremely lucky or he was making his own luck. He was the, the,
1: slick. He was slick. Was an he was operate. This is like Cicero. Like the thing about Cicero, I and mean, I think a lot, you've seen a lot of conservatives, at least in our world, have lately, um, been a lot of people. A lot more people are more pro Caesar and less and less pro Cicero than they were. But the thing about Cicero is that like people that like Cicero, generally like they don't understand him. They don't like. They don't really like the character. Like if you like Cicero like Cicero is most like the what is who is Cicero? Cicero is that. If you had locked, if you had put Cicero in chains, uh, you know he would have talked his way out of it. He would have talked his way into being the top guy and he would have survived every, like he, he would have been the guy. That's the chant that that's, uh, it's know, a word cell. Yeah, yeah. He would have been it's
3: just, uh, in Miller's cross, he'll have scored a few and you'll let him go again.
1: He would have been like the, the, the minister in Germany that was through, uh, and there were guys that were, that were powerful in the military from the, the before times the Wehrmacht, to the after times. Um, but I mean, he was
2: just super slick. It, that was that was a you brought up Patan earlier uh who was the other guy not Patan the one that they hung Somebody. like uh, I I just know
1: Patan and, and De Gaulle
2: No well, well anyway Patan had a there was another guy he wasn't a war hero but uh he was one of these figures, and he was a he was a big guy in Vichy, France, and, and Paton. They would they Laval, Pierre Laval. Yes, yeah, Pierre yeah. Laval. They didn't they they didn't hang Paton because he was he was a hero from World War One. But Laval was kind of like the, one of these word cell characters, and there was a great uh, one of the, his bi- biographies wrote about him. Like, it's not that he was an evil person like he he didn't think he was doing evil when he when he uh cut these deals with the nazis he thought he was using his like wormy word cell powers for for good to, to protect his people and stuff and like from his perspective when they were mad at him after the war and executed they might have shot him i don't remember if they shot him or hung him he was like shocked because like well why are you mad at me i would just, all i was doing was you know, spinning bullshit and, 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 and making
3: the moves. Deal, getting us the best deal we could under the circumstances, and which is which is pretty clearly what Josephus thinks he's doing here, because mm. I, he could be right. It, this it, is the thing; certainly <laughs> could be right because scale, right? Once you have fully gotten the attention of Sauron, uh, you don't have a lot of good moves left at that point.
2: Right, and, and this is kind of the the meta narrative of, of like there's you know, there's two more there's two more wars uh, after like the one that destroyed the temple is the one that gets all the PR, but like really the two wars that follow it are, are probably were worse if you were alive yep. at the time. Yep. And here's here's jo- I think Josephus is like his his basic argument point whatever strategy is that it just. All right, it's over. We're just going to have to deal with the Romans the way we dealt with the Greeks before them, and we'll, and we'll get through this, and you know we'll we'll come out on the other side of the same people. And that his view was that there were these radical people who wanted who wanted you know, to use the chaos for their own ends, who kept forcing a conflict that ultimately, you know, there were a lot. There was a big Jewish diaspora. Throughout the Ro- the the Roman and Hellenic world, like and by by this time, the, the the Greek world was the Roman world functionally. There were a lot of those people uh, at the start of this war. By the end of the Third War, they they had been not wiped out, but there were entire provinces where they were just no there were no longer Jewish people there. They were all either sent back to Judea or killed. And there were hundreds of thousands, possibly of Romans, uh, Hellenic Romans, who were killed in these wars. And uh, at the end of the day, not uh, if you looked at this from the perspective of a person who, uh, like, a Pharisee, whatever, or a Jewish person, it was a giant L because. And here's where this gets, this gets tricky. And one of the reasons why I was scared to record this, hmm. early when the very beginning we were talking, about like, there was a cons- there was a concern among people, uh, some of the leaders of the Judea, about like the Hellenization of, of people who lived there and uh, there was this conflict between the hellenistai and whatever the 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 thing is a lot of these hellenized Jews they weren't they weren't like they weren't worshiping Jupiter but they were we'll say culturally Greek they became Christians a lot of people who were who who, who were and their ancestors were Jewish converted to Christianity well before the Roman Empire at large but also with that uh, the the power of the Jewish, uh, the Jewish nation, kingdom, people, whatever. Uh, the the the, the, the I, I like how Augustus made them ethnarchs. Mm-hmm. Like there are a lot of people on Twitter who who right. are kind of uh, angling for the job of ethnarch, right? Sure. Sure. Probably,
3: I, I, I always thought that a guy like Sharpton should be called not a demagogue but an ethnagogue.
2: I mean, it was it was funny because like the people who want that job the most aren't really fans of of Judeans. But anyway, uh, you. Their, their power, they're, they're never going to be as powerful as they are before the first war, either either uh, in, uh, throughout the empire or in their own kingdom. Well, d- That's the height of their power, and they, uh, they fumbled it big time.
1: I would love to bring on someone like, I don't know, Yarvin or something, who could speak about, um, there is a question there in terms of, I don't know if any of us know the answer to this, but uh, like, isn't their religion has to be highly modified once you have no temple?
3: <laughs> yes, and, and, and yeah, absolutely. And this is one of the reasons, um, or the reason. So Julian the Apostate, uh, the last <laughs> pagan Roman emperor, what three sixties, right? Mark, eight is yeah, that, that something? He there. Yeah. He he re, he tries to rebuild the temple. He's only emperor for two or three years. So he, you know, he's been being a good Christian boy at least on the outside. And then when he wins the Game of Thrones and becomes emperor, he says, uh, "I got bad news for you Christian guys. Uh, I don't believe any of that, and we're we're, we're going back to the old school." He wants to rebuild the temple because that undercuts the legitimacy of Christianity. He knew exactly what he was doing because he'd been raised as a Christian. Uh, he wanted to rebuild it to say, because because the destruction of the temple was a big part of where uh, the Christian apologists got their legitimacy to say, hey, we're going to make a break with, you know, yes, these are star scriptures. And yes, it's the same God. But we now kind of have the mandate socially. These are anachronistic terms, but that's, that's the closest we can come. You, you know, there's no temple anymore, so now kind of we're the thing, uh, uh, and all that stuff about the temple, and this is where God's God has chosen to house His name. Well, the temple isn't there anymore, so Julian wants to rebuild it. And I think both the Christian and the pagan historians say that the attempt to rebuild the temple is like lightning strikes and people die, and there's earthquakes, right? So this was yeah. seen as you know, you, you're trying to move the hands of the clock back, and you're not, you're, you can't do that. Ironically, if you ask modern
1: pa- ironically, that's not the now both <laughs> both yes. both ultra Christians and I don't know if you say ultra like ultra nationalist Jews or whatever. <laughs> um like uh, if you're I think if you're like a super ultra nationalist Jew, you want to rebuild the temple. The
3: third, third temple. That that's always the concern. I mean the the what do you call um intifadas.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, again, talk, I mean, maybe this is a good analogy.
1: I don't think a lot of people know I don't think a lot of people know this so the, what is the significance so the significance of this is that if you read about the Old Testament what do you do as the Jewish religion well like um, they take these they take animals and they go and you have to go to this certain place one place in the world not your local place but this one place in the world and they have to be sacrificed and burned in these certain specific ways well so in other words it's not just like any of them it's this just, just this one and so what do you do when it gets blown up Well, now, which is in the the case right now, the the Jewish religion has no temple because it was destroyed then, so they don't have a you don't they don't have to, and I'm not a scholar, but I mean like they can't do the sacrifice if they don't have the building. So what do they do?
3: It it, it, it it shifts from this idea of this central geographic location to exactly the diaspora. This is where sort of rabbinic Judaism and Judaism is way more familiar with it now in the you know the common era, right? Or the AD era, right? That's, that's what it looks like. Uh, But it's also, that's what I mean by them retconning after the Babylonian captivity, because if you look at the historical chronicles, books of Kings, books of chronicles, right? It's real clear that although that was supposedly the rules that it was all supposed to be centralized, people were doing their own thing. This is the high places, you know, they're, they're setting up the high places, when the Kings and Chronicles goes through all the different kings of Israel and and especially Judah, because Israel's basically a lost cause. They say they're bad from the beginning. They say, Yeah, he was pretty good and he walked in the ways of his father David and he obeyed the Lord, but he didn't break the high places. He didn't re- which are which are places for local sacrifice. He didn't re centralize. And a few of them do. A few of the kings that the later writers say these are the really good kings, they went all the way back to the original faith. They said, We're not doing these other altars, we are re centralizing into the temple. The first temple is destroyed, uh, I think, by the Neo-Babylonian Empire, and then the second temple is constructed after Cyrus liberates them, although it takes a long time. That second temple is in existence for, I don't know, you know, 450 years, give or take. And then that is destroyed in, what, 69 or 70 AD. And then this does create this conceptual shift. And Mark, you're right that there were a lot of, you know, the Hellenized communities that then sort of are the nucleus of a lot of the original um, uh, Christian communities, but that cuts both ways, because prior to the ministry of Christ, uh, there were, they're called like God-fearers or God-respecters, uh, there are people who are not Jewish by heredity, but who are Uh, are sort of fellow travelers and maybe they can't fully assimilate in and maybe they're not doing all of the dietary rules and maybe they can't trace their lineage back in a tribal way but they like that something appeals to them about the idea of monotheism it's much more I guess intellectually satisfying than you know animism or paganism or whatever and so there was a spread and a protestization going on and so it's a very very complex situation kind of cutting in both sides that then leads to the growth of Christianity. It's split from Judaism. Uh, You see this in Paul's letters, right? A lot of Paul's letters, Romans most especially, but not only, are sorting through this and saying, okay, who's going to still do the Jewish law? Who doesn't have to? Who's a Gentile? Who's this? Who's that? Did you notice another character in this cast of characters in Josephus? And it's very murky. He doesn't talk about them a lot. They're sort of there, but... The Syrians, he calls them, because uh, this appears to be just anybody in the area who was, you know, speaking a Semitic language who wasn't Jewish. And the Romans bring legions when they put the smack down during this war, but they also seem to raise a bunch of auxiliaries from the local people uh, who view this as an opportunity, you know, to to. Get their own, you know. And there's been a lot of infighting, obviously, and tension going on for hundreds of years here. Uh, and it seems like these Syrians—it's a little unclear who they are—they're the most kind of going buck wild against and 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 repressing this rebellion. Although the Romans do have to bring very heavy firepower from the more mainstream legions to to, to finally break it down. After jo- so, Josephus's switch when Josephus may or may not murder all those guys. It's not clear what happened. And, <laughs> and it's it's a miracle occurs, and he's the last, he's the ultimo hombre, right? And then he comes as a slave to Vespasian, gives him good prophecies, becomes homies with Titus, is taken out of this chains at some point. That happens only a third of the way through the narrative. And then the rest of the mm-hmm. two thirds is the rest of the two thirds is both a very grim depiction of Jerusalem, especially under siege, really seeming like, something almost out of the second world war, you know, the war siege of Warsaw or something the Warsaw ghetto uprising, just really, really nasty stuff. And then Josephus is outside the walls of Jerusalem, almost with the megaphone begging them to calm down, telling them it's over. It's beyond over. Don't make them do this. Titus doesn't want to kill all of you, but if you make him come in, he is going to kill every single one of you. And, you know, we're only getting his version of events but it's very interesting because, you know, he's not Josephus is not portraying himself as some kind of all knowing philosopher king. He's like a very human guy. And I found it very moving. And it's a, I think it would make an amazing movie or, or, or prestige TV show or something. I'm a little surprised it hasn't been done.
2: The you know the the every chapter has this little summary b- before it begins and like the early ones are very it's like here's how the, the Herodic kingdoms are formed and this is what happened when this wife did this, and then once you get to this section of the of the of the, of the books it's just like every chapter's like. Here are the calamities that befell the the Jews in Jerusalem here are the even worse calamities that befell the, the Edom. like it, did you think that there were calamities before well we had even worse calamities like it's just it's just it's, it's it gets progressively more uh not the meme serious like yeah it's, it's over it's more over than we possibly could have imagined before
1: well it's crazy I mean and th- this is again it's not unique I mean there were peoples in uh, Eastern Europe and stuff like that. That um, uh, I don't know if any place in Austria really got it bad after World War II. I mean, people don't know how bad it was in places like Germany and uh, after the war. Uh, it was rough. And, um, uh, you know, I guess places like, like Austria or something like that, they could have gone either way. And, but like, when you're there and it's just this horrible situation, remember the Romans didn't really have to be there like this. They were invited in to settle a score.
3: Yeah. Like a vampire. You got to invite them in your house. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I don't know what, I don't know what that's, I don't know if there's a, you know, so I think that sometimes gangs will have, uh, the criminal underworld. They certainly don't always don't let these people fool you. Like, uh, the best example of, of um, who, who's the Whitey Bulger? Yeah. Whitey yeah. Bulger was super successful because uh, he cooperated with the FBI. And so...
3: Like, His brother was the head of the state senate or something like that.
1: Yeah. yeah. And so, like, um, you know, he could get help from the, fr- the frickin' FBI to whack people and stuff. Uh, I, like, now, but there are plenty of criminal societies. I think Italy was like this... For the, the, and say the 20th century, like, um, the, the gangs are at war with each other, but they have a pact that they don't bring in Sauron. They don't bring in the state.
3: Yes. And, and when do you, I always say get really nervous if organized crime appears to disappear from your society. (laughs) Because what that means is it's actually just, (laughs) It's it's it's, it's fused with the security apparatus of the state at that point.
1: Yes. Which, uh, Absolutely was the case through the twenty. I mean, these people. Uh, yeah, I mean, the 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 state would use uh, Italian mobsters against their clansmen and stuff like that. Um, yeah. they, they would. I
3: mean, yeah, they, they and, would. And, sorry, good. No, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, uh yeah, like. Well, the- and they also, and also, the mafiosi in America hooked up with the boys back home to facilitate the allied invasion of Sicily.
1: Right. Lucky, the, lucky Luciano.
3: Yeah. They, they were, they were making all kinds of moves. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really helps if you know the language and you know, the territory and you can, you know, go undercover as a, as a, as a native that, that you, you can't buy that kind of, kind of thing.
1: But th- this starts between a squabble between the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right?
3: More or less. Or, 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 People who, uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, that's a little more with the rise of Herod, I think, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Herodian family in the first century B.C. It's it's people who um, are more up t- I don't know how to describe, I'm just trying to, <laughs> describe, I'm, not, I'm not trying to, I'm not worried about being spicy or anything, I'm just trying to describe this objectively. Uh, it's assimilation. It ultimately comes down to, uh, are we digestible or not? And the side that is anti-digestion, anti-assimilation, maintaining purity, separateness, going by the old law, not bending the knee, not sacrificing to the emperor, not going to the gymnasium, not pederasty, all that, you know, you know the side that is Jewish and not Hellenic. They've got a real strong argument, really strong argument, which, you know, they got the religious argument, but then they also have like a material argument to say, we've been through this before. All the way back to Joseph and 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 Egypt and, and Moses in Egypt, right? If you stick with the true faith, God will take care of us eventually. It may look really bad, but it's never fully over. But if you cross over and you go to the gymnasium and you undo your circumcision and you call yourself Jason or whatever, uh, you, you're you're done. You're gone. You're going to get cast into the fire. And a big difference is. Uh, there's not a clear concept of afterlife in the in the pre-Babylonian captivity, but you start seeing in the Apocrypha uh, which are written after the Jews come back from the Babylonian captivity uh, when the when Cyrus liberates them, uh, you start to see more of you're, you're gonna suffer eternal hell, right So they've added that element to it, right So it's both you'll lose the mandate and not mandate hey, we have mandate of heaven, you'll lose the favor of God. That's their really strong argument. The argument for the other guys, the argument for the people who want to play ball with first the Greeks and then the Romans, it's a, hard, I mean, it's a very strong material argument, which is, what are you nuts? Do, 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 do you want to all get murdered, or, or, or do you want to be able to drink wine and you know hang out in a cultured way? That's a strong argument from a practical sense, but it gets into that: is it better to live on your, you know, to die like a lion or live like a dog? Right? They're basically saying it's better to live like a dog.
0: This is
1: funny because uh, like one of the. <clears throat> Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, my my favorite political writer is Curtis Yarvin. He is Jewish, and he's got a he's got a particular thing in in one of his his big um, in, new book out, Passage Press. Um, can think of, uh, can't, I can I can think of the, uh,
3: what, the unqualified reservations. Oh, yeah.
1: One. yeah, it's I can think of because it's a it's a compilation of all his things. It's it's called unqualified reservations. Um, one of the big things in there is I think that he he says in there that you. Um, you can't infiltrate things that you'll just become part of it. Then he say that he talks about the, the pissing in the tent and pissing out and all that I mean, kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that is, that's objectively true. Yeah. And, and uh, <laughs> man, this is a, you know, nothing history is not a cyclical everything repeats over and over again. This debate that you're talking about, that the, the, you know, the Jews are having when they decide whether they're going to fight Rome. Uh, the early Christian community has the same arguments after after we win, after the the conversion of the empire. There's a decision: What are we going to do with all these people who, like, who you know, who who offered to Jupiter and renounced Christ when we were being persecuted? Like, you know, like if we're, from their perspective, like we didn't do that, we kept the faith at at great risk. All these people should be, at the very least, excommunicated and maybe even executed. Like we should, and, and, should, and, and,
3: and crucially, uh, they're not real priests, and anybody yes. that they made a priest is not a real priest. It breaks the apostolic succession, so yeah. none of their baptisms count. I mean, it's a disaster from that
2: perspective. Yeah, the, 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 the Donatists, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and and the, that
3: view, the purest view, that anybody who bent the knee is no longer Christian and they don't count anymore... That is eventually wiped out with violence by the mainstream mm-hmm. Christians who take over the empire saying, we can't do this. Like, we have to have an amnesty. And when these guys won't give it up, eventually they end up suppressing them violently.
1: By the way, you also have uh, another crossroads here of mm, Josephus is one of the only people that quotes the, 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 the Sibylian books.
0: Ooh,
1: the civil line, and, and you have the same thing happen to the Roman religion it's not the exactly, I mean it's it's pretty damn similar like the Roman religion is I'm not it existed before the sibyline books but the siline books were I'm not gonna say it's as important as the Bible but like um you know in Mormon religion they have like um the pearl of great price and stuff it's, i don't know right. it's, it's more right.
2: important golden plates right it, it, but
1: basically the bible of the roman religion was hidden it was secret they had it back at rome in a special safe and everything and um i don't know how to explain it but anyways it was burned at, once christianity I don't know which I don't know which which emperor burned it, but um, they're like, well, um, we don't need this book anymore, and it might cause problems if it, if it's if it's lying around. This is Stilicho, yeah, where uh, yeah, yeah.
0: Ju- yeah. he was
1: right after I think he was right after Julian the Apostate, but um, Stilicho, it's uh, like, well, you know, we don't we're not really doing that religion anymore, um, and I have the only copy of our holy book, <laughs> so let's just burn it.
3: Is a good quote. These these are very much fake Sibylline books, but uh, what groans beneath the Punic curse and strangles in the strings of purse before she mends must sicken worse. Ten years, fifty days, and three claw claw Claudius shall given be a gift that all desire, but he. This is, I assume, fake, right? But but Robert Gray's made up like a fake Sibylline prophecy <laughs> to, to, to to slip into I Claudius it is very weird, Bog, this idea that you have, you know, holy texts that then become almost obsolete and they end up like historical curios, which is, you know, the opposite of what happens with the Jewish holy texts, right? I mean, there are not only in every synagogue, but also in in every church of any Christian denomination, you know, I mean, I'm holding in my hand right now, uh, the new Oxford annotated Bible, and it is both. And if you, I mean, you know, Size doesn't matter, right? But, I mean, if you the vast bulk of the Bible in terms of just real estate and column inches is, is the Old Testament, not the New Testament. Yeah. And, uh, and, th- and this is the very first heresy that has to be uh, ruled out in the early Christian church is Marcion, you know, around 100 AD, give or take, who says, no, we're doing a complete break. Uh, the Jewish God is actually a different God. Maybe it's the Demiurge. It's a bad God. We're new things. We should reject that all entirely. And that is long before anything else. We say, no, we are continuous. It's happening These are these are um, we're building on it, but these are the texts
2: there's a there's a really weird section in in Josephus's book where he's like he's trying to explain like, so let me explain to you at the time of the uh, of the rebellion. The like what what how the the Jewish sects were. and There were three sects. There were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and then there was the third sect. And like he skips the main two are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're the most important. He just blows through them, and then he goes this long description mm. of of the, uh, the Essenes, right? Is that yeah, Essians? yeah. And and like it's it's. You, it's they're not. They're. I mean, obviously, they literally couldn't be Gnostic because Gnosticism didn't exist. It hadn't been invented yet. But like, they're in history. Like they're, they're all. These, lower
0: case,
3: they're not a capital G Gnostic, but they're a lowercase Gnostic.
2: Yeah, it's just it's funny because it's like this is such a. You can tell this is just a, like a human thing that happens. Like this is a a a, a human. <laughs> to, to steal a word from. A, a, ben shapiro it's a mind virus that like mm. spreads through human history it doesn't matter if you're talking like christian islam jewish there are there were like you know hellenic uh, uh, gnostics too honestly like this is just the way people go and it's funny because like he's describing oh yeah well they they have weird ideas about sex and families they keep everything com- they keep everything communally they believe that the bo- the physical world is corrupt and, and stuff and it's like do, is do, does is there any explanation of why he goes into such detail about this this group that seems to be completely irrelevant to both the story that, that he tells and like in history because they're just they just fucking vanish don't they That is well
3: that is I mean vanish or probably merge into developing Christianity is it and, and ah. is, is is my is my guess that is an interesting question I don't know why he well let me think a couple I mean. The face value, and I don't think these are not mutually exclusive. One reason he could be spending this much time on it is this is the, the um, school, let's say, that his readers would have been the least familiar with. Yeah. Because it was newer and it was weirder and it was esoteric. Maybe he had had some involvement in it. I mean, he was a Pharisee, I think, to the extent these labels are... are rigid he would have been a pharisee but maybe he was you know essene and curious or whatever growing up (laughs) Uh, analogy there and talking about gnosticism and i would i mean we can't go down this tangent because we're already three hours but but maybe uh maybe we should do down the road a uh uh an augustine's confessions episode oh yeah because he uh augustine in his youth was into all kinds of Manichaean, Gnostic, I Mm -hmm. have the secret knowledge, you know, what the regular people are into, that's the dumb show of religion, I know the real faith, and then his real conversion moment is when he says, no, I gotta be a Christian, just like anybody else, and I just accept this, and I gotta stop acting like I'm some kind of special intellectual who has the teacher's edition with all the secret little esoteric inner knowledge. Uh, That is ripped from today's headlines, right, in terms of populism, or whatever you want to call it, like, Uh, so we could really do,
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: like we we could really do a good one on yeah. that. Uh, but 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 it's quick, but yes, it, yeah, it it's, quick things. we got to. And it is very disproportionate. You're right. Now notice there's a fourth one, uh, sort of the zealots. Uh, he does mm-hmm. at one point refer to them as a fourth school, and the zealots are, I guess, these you know. Uh, the zealots are to first century AD Judaism, the way that like Bushido kamikaze warriors are to yeah. Japanese culture, right? In the dirt the, during the war. Uh, these are the guys who are, it's a little unclear. He doesn't get really rigorous on how he's described these groups, but they are the ones who are the most uh, anti-assimilationist and the most violent uprising is what he seems to be saying. And there seem some people have speculated a connection between them and, and uh, Judas Iscariot. Hmm. So the name Iscariot is, uh, I, I think it's cognate with Sicarii, like Iscariot, ah. which is the dagger. That's the, that's the hooked dagger that the assassins use because they can like, you know, you, you conceal it under a sleeve of your robe and you go into a crowd and you get up to the guy you want to kill and you just flick out with the dagger and then you're gone before anybody even knows the guy's dead. I, I, if I'm right about all this it's just an interesting it's an interesting lens to read the Gospels through because people mistake you know a lot of the outside uh, world including maybe some of his own followers seem to be expecting Jesus to declare a military revol- you know an armed revolution and the the scene where this comes to a head is the betrayal in the garden of Gethsemane where is it Peter cuts off? The ear, right? You know, when, when they come, when Judas <laughs> kisses him to indicate who it is, and the soldiers come in, and 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 you know, and 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 it, it's over. Peter pulls out a sword and cuts off the ear of the slave of, of the high priest, and Jesus says, "No," he just says, "Put down your swords. That's not what this is about. You're misunderstanding this if you think that we're going to win this fight with swords." So, I getting on, you know, it's, it's a little far afield from what we're talking about here, but but it shows, you, you know, none of that gets on the radar of Josephus, let alone of Tacitus, but um, that divergence and the idea here that it's not going to be a military revolution. It's going to be a spiritual revolution, which is going to turn the page and lead us to the new chapters, uh, chapter of history. Do either of you have any love in your heart for Jesus Christ Superstar by Android Weber by any chance? Uh, I'm, I'm guessing no, but maybe may, may I'm wrong here.
2: I, I, I've I've never seen it because when I was young, I, that would I would not have been permitted to see that.
3: Fair enough, and that and that's common. I mean, that's that that, 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 that that's a frequent response, and I can I can see the point. I would recommend it. Uh, I, I would recommend it. It's it's very. It is you know, if you made the same sort of thing now from a secular perspective, it would be unwatchably cringe. But there was enough, I would say there was enough residual respect in the culture left that it is definitely worth checking out. But the reason I mention it is the lyrics of one of the songs, there's um, one of the songs, uh, one of the characters, so there's Simon the Zealot, Simon Zelote is one, one of the apostles. And uh, he's, uh, if, if it's okay, I'll read kind of extendedly from the lyrics, we may have copyright issues, I guess. Um, there's, there's a big sort of crowd of, you know, hippies basically dancing around and praising Jesus. And then Simon, the zealot says there must be over 50,000 screaming love and more for you. He's addressing Jesus. And every one of 50,000 would do whatever you ask him to keep them yelling their devotion, but add a touch of hate at Rome. You will rise to a greater power. We will win ourselves a home. You'll get the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. And the actor playing Jesus in the movie has this very pained look on his face when he says this. And then he sort of rebukes him. And he says, neither you, Simon, nor the 50,000, nor the Romans, nor the Jews, nor Judas, nor the 12, nor the priests, nor the scribes, nor doomed Jerusalem itself, understand what power is, understand what glory is understand it all. If you knew all that I knew, my poor Jerusalem, you'd see the truth, but you close your eyes. While you live, your troubles are many, poor Jerusalem, but to conquer death, you only have to die. So this is, first of all, very, you know, moving stuff. It's not really what you'd expect from a goofy rock opera, but it really shows um And I think Joseph, you know, Josephus, as far as we can tell, Josephus is not even aware of the existence of Jesus. So it's a little hard to believe. Right. But he certainly is not central to his thought. But while he is not exactly offering a a spiritual way out here, he is certainly Josephus is trying to offer a political way out that does not lead to genocide and and complete destruction of his people. Uh, And, you know, he he. I mean, Josephus made the right, he backed the right horse. He made the right choice because at some point he saw it's time to get out and he got out and then he ends up uh, on the winning side. And so you got to kind of point to the scoreboard at some point, although he has been a controversial figure in later Jewish history because, you know, he's basically a traitor.
2: I mean, his advice, well, I don't know. You, this is so complicated. Like you, you could take the advice as like, Stop! Stop trying to fight Rome like militarily. It's never going to work. You got you to gotta seek other. You got to f- find find another way to p- p- to keep our people uh, alive. And I don't know. I, you know, it's like what happens if 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 the Alamo half goes down the way it does, but the Texans lose the war. Mm-hmm. Your your perception of the Alamo would be a lot different, wouldn't it?
3: It'd be like, like Masada. When, It'd be like Masada at that point.
2: Yeah, and and that's the and that's the thing here. Like you know, Jose like all the things that like, Josephus is obviously writing this way before the next two wars. I uh, he's he's I'm sure he's not he's not even alive by the end of the last one. He couldn't have been. It would have, it would have been way too long. And so he doesn't see this. But like the things that they worried about were right. the obviously the temple was destroyed in the first in the first war. Uh, there's <laughs> resettlements. Their their population. Massively decreases. Or they lose. They lose the, a lot of the power that they had. But more importantly, uh, you know, from their perspective, and like I can say this because I'm not not Jewish. It's like it's not really a, a it's not really a sore point. It was like uh, a, a lot of people. There were probably a lot of people who con, who converted from Judaism to Christianity because of what happened to the temple and because of what happened in those wars. There were probably a lot of people who said, well, actually, I guess Jesus, this Jesus guy was right. You know, I, I he must've really been the real deal because look, look, how, look how bad they fumbled the bag. Yeah, You know, people, people will do that. And you you can, you can gamble and gamble against the eye of Sora. And, you know, if you're not Eric horn you're, yeah. you're going to lose it all. Well, yeah, but it is a special
1: insight. That um there are a couple civilizations that have a couple have a couple stretches where you can't win. It's like if you yeah. if you were in the path of the Mongols at, oh, yeah. at the height of, of of uh uh at the height of Mongol power, like um I don't know, whatever you like you know, there are other way you can cooperate with them and survive. And the thing is you can fight anybody else, but you can't fight them. You just can't. Um, uh, the only and
3: the Romans the Romans are the Mongols for this sphere for hundreds of years. They have where-
1: a they have a spe- it's it's like it's like the having being the only people that have the nuclear bomb or something like that. Yes. You the, the normal times you can fight and you can do things, but you can't fight them at this point.
3: Well and the, and, and that at this point is crucial. Because to bring it back to when we were talking about, you know, is geography destiny or is there some character of the peoples that is uh, uh, independent from geography? Tie it back into the life cycle, to the globe cycle of empires. Right. So if you're on the way up, all sorts of things are possible when you're plateauing. And then when you're on the decline, maybe it's like maybe it's like the upswing of the globe cycle is you're transcending your geography for a little bit and you're able to expand your geography and become an empire and get new geography. But then on the way down, do you get recaptured by geography and stuff that you could just through sheer force of will and military organization, uh, just move mountains at the height of your cycle or the upswing. uh, You can't do anything. You're a pitiful paralyzed giant on the downswing of your cycle.
1: I think if you have, if you, the same thing happens a couple hundred years later, uh, Rome is not a solo, Rome just takes different sides in the Jewish civil war. You know what I
3: mean? Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. That, and, and, yeah. And it doesn't play out, well, th- this then leads into, we, 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 on the first time I think that I was uh, with you guys, I asked whether we thought it would be possible that we could have an American Hellenism after this moment we're in now, where even if our ability to project force is on the decline, whether our cultural influence will live on or actually increase in the longer future. But it's not just the Hellenistic era where that happens for the Greeks. They kind of pulled this off twice because you also have the so-called Byzantine period going on for a thousand years after the fall of Rome in the West. Uh, We in the West tend to see this as a uh, backwater or a blind alley of history. Uh, Well, that's not how the Russians see it. You know, (laughs) the the Russians are, you know, you know, Constantinople is to the Russians the way that Rome is to every Western European country LARPing and claiming its legitimacy from them. Uh, So you have, you know, the Hellenistic period beforehand and then a thousand year long goodbye after the fall of the Western Empire where you have the thing keep going, keep going and going and going, even though it's reduced to a small rump to some extent, you have Greek as this international language of commerce and diplomacy and literature, et cetera, religion, you you know, is this the, the white pill? Is this the case for optimism in the situation we find ourselves in now that whatever the gravitational forces at the backside of the globe, life cycle pull you down there's still going to be an afterlife going on of the culture and whether you think i mean a do we think that's true b is that a good thing or a bad thing and i think the two of you might give different answers on that second one
2: i mean there there will be people who say that they are either americans or the inheritors of american culture and the 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 problem here is it's like when you say well a hellenistic period uh Even during the life of Alexander, there were a lot of uh, people who served him, and uh, people and other Macedonians, other Greeks who thought that like he was already becoming corrupt, like he was already being corrupted by foreigners. He was no longer really Greek, and what what followed after like the Seleucid Empire, it might be a Hellenic kingdom, but it's not Greek, not really. You know, you know what I'm saying?
3: Yeah, you can't be. You know uh pericles if you're ruling over the thousand nations of the persian empire right it's just it's not going to work
2: yeah exactly and i I think that so there that will exist no matter what i I don't think that's really of our our cultural influence will decline or spread or whatever i don't know i don't think it really matters i would settle just for american culture to be uh in America again, because I think that we we kind of we kind of lost that. So I, I don't know. Probably like there's just no. It's kind of like Rome and the Hellenic empires. You like we're we're still living like we, we see their influence in, in our in our daily lives. Like uh, our empire was at least partially influenced by some of their ideas. You can you couldn't really have an America without a Roman Empire. And you couldn't have had a Roman Empire without a Greek Empire. Uh, with, like, well, I think that you know, the, the British people, like I remember some British historian who said that the Battle of Salamis was the mm-hmm. the greatest British naval victory in history. You know, <laughs> this is a war between Xerxes and the, and, and the you know. It, so I, I think that, yeah, it will live on one way or the other. But as for if that's good or bad, I don't know. I don't think it matters. I, 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 maybe I'm wrong because people keep telling me. I don't think China is going to. I don't think China is going to be what people think it's going to be. So I, I don't know. It's hard to even imagine what, what comes after this. Yeah, I, I don't even know
3: if China thinks it's going to be what a lot of Westerners thinks it's going to be. I'm, I'm not sure they have the ambitions to replace us as a global right. hegemon. They just want to uh, wriggle out from under the hegemony. See, But you know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that. Here, here's a good, uh, all right, a little more scripture time to wrap it up here. You were looking, O king, and lo, there was a great statue. This statue was huge, its brilliance extraordinary. It was standing before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of that statue was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked on, a stone was cut out, not by human hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So this is from the uh, second chapter of the book of Daniel. Bog, I've heard you talk about this a couple times over the years on the show of the idol with the head of gold and the feet of clay. Mm -hmm. And the allegory. So first of all, this is written uh, probably, I think, during the Antiochus Epiphanes persecutions or written in the 160s or certainly in the second century B.C. But it's narrating something happening, uh, whether it be 400 years earlier, during the Babylonian captivity in Babylon before Cyrus comes and, and destroys Babylon and liberates the Jews. Uh, This is allegorically interpreted, and there's a lot of other stuff in Daniel, which is kind of retcon prophecy of how all the Hellenistic stuff would go down. But I think it's the uh, these different parts of the statue are supposed to allegorize uh, Babylon, the Medes, which I mean, we barely know anything. I mean, I barely focus on them at all. The Persians and then the the feet that are mixed iron and clay are the Hellenistic kingdoms. And then this big stone that is not made by human hands is, you know, the kingdom of God or, or the restoration of the Jewish people back to Jerusalem, uh, uh, knocking all of that away. But this idea, you know, you guys talk a lot about the mandate of heaven. And if you apply the mandate of heaven on geographical terms, it's what the Romans called the translatio imperii, right? The, the movement, the, the translation, but the, not, not of language, but the physical movement from one place to another of the command of the empire. And there's this concept, there's this phrase westward the course of empire takes its way, where you know you have the origins of civilization like we started out talking about in in what we now call the Middle East, uh, you have a shift into the Mediterranean, yeah, back and forth a lot with Islam, but then a shift into Western Europe, the Atlantic century, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, and then is there a sense in which the American century was like that beam of power sweeping across the North American continent from east to west. And if it now is out heading over the Pacific Ocean, well, you keep going west, eventually you end up back in the east. And it's a little blasphemous to mix scripture readings with David Byrne lyrics, but there's this David Byrne song, Angels. It begins like this. There are no angels left in America anymore. They left after the Second World War, heading west, stopping briefly in Japan during the 60s, then in Tiananmen Square during the last decade. They kept heading west to who knows where. What are they after? What are they looking for? And that kind of haunts me, but I'll try to say it also gives me a little optimism. Because what we are will continue if we're all English, like you say sometimes, and if as Christians, we're also in some sense descended from from Jews spiritually, uh, a lot of folks have tried to wipe these things out over the years and none of them have succeeded. And so I don't, you know, I don't even think we'll be able to wipe ourselves out. At least that's how I feel when I want to get optimistic about it.
1: Famously, this is what <clears throat> uh, the Pope told Napoleon. Napoleon, The, the Pope said, Napoleon, I you're, you're trying to destroy the church. Uh, uh, you might as well give up. We've been trying for, <laughs> you know, for a thousand years. <laughs> uh, it's not going to work. The you know, it these things. You know, the, the, this this goes a lot of this. You know, the raw emotion of this stuff is about losing, like losing. Um, people more have feelings about losing civilization than than getting civilization. The billions must die, Kai. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. I think that's for good reason because people know that that civilization and, and not just civilization, but like glorious civilization is, is fleeting. It, uh, it could disappear in a moment. And I mean, think about all the, the Chinese culture, like, uh, you know, that, that terracotta army and stuff under, underneath the uh, Mm -hmm. underground Mm -hmm. in China. That's just a place that Mao didn't find. Because hmm. if he did, he would have destroyed it, and uh, you know the Thousand One Nights of, of Arabia. Well, that was stuff that you know that stuff was. Um, they can't read that in Arabia right now. All the culture was destroyed, and this happens all the time. I'm not saying like like on like on the, the scale of, of communist social revolutions and stuff, but um, it's easy it, it it's easy to go down. The other thing is, I mean. Uh, you know, will will America make it? Well, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not written in. I mean, I don't think it's written in stone. Um, there's no Prussia anymore, uh, and this, this, um, this can happen. The other thing is, I don't think people in America even sort of realize. Like, uh, I, I have no doubt in my mind that a thousand years from now, when they have a museum of American culture, people aren't going to be there to look at. <clears throat> Um, football uniforms, hmm. or or stuff that, that that Kurt Cobain had. They're going to be looking at a nineteen uh, fifty eight Ford Fairlane, and they're it, looking at P
2: fifty one Mustang and Neil Armstrong spacesuit. That's what they'll be looking at. Yeah, yeah, probably, but
3: I mean, probably like probably a Bart, it, probably Bart Simpson T shirt in there too. But <laughs> but
1: I mean, it's going to be Elvis. It's going to be uh, fifty. It's going to be the fifties. It's going to be the 50s. That was our, that was our glorious time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That was and, our
3: version of Julius Augustus into the second century, Five Good Emperors. That was our peak.
1: Oh, it was absolutely glorious. I mean, everything about American culture was glory then. But by the way, I mean, I, you know, I'm not a, a China skeptic. And I, I, know, I have no way to know. All I know is that if you, look, if you were to look through a satellite at pictures of these cities in china from 10 years ago 20 years ago 30 years ago to what they are today i mean what are they not what are they not doing now the thing is like this can this can can go away i mean they they can they can they can blow this they can fumble this but i mean i mean don't they make in the factories they're they're making the tall buildings they're
3: they have uh as out, they, they can make ships which uh, we have trouble with
1: They they have a they have a, a a pretty kick-ass colony system going on I mean, what, what do you think that like um <clears throat> well first off do you think their current success is is fake or do you think that they're going to blow their success that's not first off that's the whole question
2: well, China has been pl- like uh, underplaying, uh, underperforming for like uh, hundred and fifty years, or maybe longer than that. And like now, they're catching up to where like where China should be, and, like which which is whatever. E- either either on par with Europe or or somewhere below that. I have I have, There's no evidence to me that they're ever going that they're going to become some some superpower. And, like you know, that's the thing. You know, you those. And this is my this is my position, and I understand it's not uh, orthodox, right? Uh, Tell me, they're building megacities. To me, that's like, yeah, okay, for sure, they're fucked. If if you're mm-hmm. if you're doing that, like, because because the 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 best times for America were before we we filled out the entire continent and
3: see covered and, that, it and, and, and covered and it with asphalt. That's what I find so interesting and productive about the differences between you guys, because uh, and Mark, you're in that kind of really classical tradition of change is bad. I mean, I, I'm not trying to simplify it, right? But like kind of, it's a pretty steady decline from a relatively pristine state. And Bog seems to place the uh, floor wit, right? The, the peak of everything a little, or maybe considerably later than you do. So I just, I, yeah. I, I find that really interesting. Yeah,
2: I give me 1850. <laughs>
3: okay. Okay. Uh, was boxing, give nineteen
2: fifty. Well, you know? I mean, when when did we land on the moon? yeah, month. I know. Uh, it <clears> wasn't worth it. All that all that stuff wasn't worth it. Well, what it, we gave up to get there was not worth it. I wish that we had. I wish that we never become an empire. I wish that we hadn't been the country that landed people on the moon and did all that stuff. I would have rather stayed what we, what we were and I'm not saying that you can do that because if, if you if you know th- that's the, the, the part of the problem here like it's like you land on this continent that's you know big and beautiful and it's it's rich and it's it's largely on un- I mean, there were people here but there weren't a lot of people here and you had all this, this beautiful like it's the Garden of Eden of course you're going to become an empire you pretty much don't have a choice just by the circumstances like this is geographic determinism you're going to be somebody just because of where you're at but it wasn't worth it. It, it. none of it was. it would be it, i would I would prefer to be, like I said before, uh, Italy. if if we had won the Civil War, the South would be Italy. and I would be perfectly fine with that. but this is that
3: would you, be great. It, 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 it in the same way that we started out by saying that every expansive step that Rome took, they framed as a defensive step. Mm-hmm. I think you see that from, you know, the union and what was, you know, the, the Northern side of the civil war and then became the American empire, uh, had a real good rationalization for everything that they got involved in. You know, it wasn't just, oh, we want that stuff, right? It was oh, well, it's tense. And you know, you know, it's a vacuum and all that. These are the rationalizations you tell yourselves. Is it inevitable? In other words, you're either going to be somebody or you're going to be somebody's fool as uh, Mr. T's uh, uh, <laughs> m- movie that he made in the 80s, which I strongly recommend. It's, it's hilarious. Uh, you're going to be somebody or you're going to be somebody's fool. So it's like AI. If you unilaterally decide, oh, we're not going to develop all this new freaky weird AI, unless you can get everybody else to agree that they're also not going to do it, uh, you're going to be in trouble.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: I agree with that. But I, I mean, I want to build a nationalist, imperialist, massive uh uh, uh uh nation that that that's, that's stable that obliterates all its enemies like like basically everybody else i mean maybe they everybody else is playing a game of like that we have to do that or we don't or, or we'll get killed by the americans or the romans or the persians or but um I, I don't know. I mean, I don't see a, it's difficult to opt out of that unless you get very gifted geographically, I guess.
2: There were people in G- who lived in Germany who were calling themselves Romans up until the time of Napoleon. The I mean, Kaiser he... was
1: a, the Kaiser you probably died in the 70s or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh no, he died in the <laughs> he died in the 40s. But uh, yeah, uh, Ribbentrop had kids that were they're like I think at least one of them is still alive.
3: Doesn't didn't John Tyler have living grandchildren? Or are they finally yeah. dead now? The, I, he did to
2: recently. After, yeah, it, there was
1: yeah. a um, there was some civil uh, there were some Confederate Army uh, 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 widows uh, right around too.
2: But
3: this is the, the the to quote a wise man, we have the wolf by the ears here, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, this is this is not a doesn't look like a very stable situation to be in. But it's not really clear uh, what the next move is here.
2: Yeah, I mean, for what I'm saying, what I'm saying is also bullshit. Because, and I'm not saying like I'm not saying I'm lying. I'm just saying it's just it's the same. It's the thing I would criticize other people for in other circumstances, where it's like you want to jump out of the airplane and say, "Okay, we're ten. Well, I'm at five thousand feet. This is good. I'm going to stop here." Hey. No, you, you're you're gonna you, as soon as you land. You know, as soon as you land, landed at Jamestown, it's like this is this is the path you're going down. It doesn't matter if you wanted to stop the ride. Uh, you know. Uh, in the president zachary taylor presidency it doesn't work that way so one way or the other there will be people who call themselves americans there will be an american culture hopefully there'll still be an american people that's really what what i care about more than anything
1: because look at look at germany and and um and japan japan more specifically like japan i don't know for how long you have either been someone that Talks like the talks like I was just doing, or these these big things about conquering the world, or you're literally conquered. How long have they been like? uh Japan is a puppet; they're not directly a puppet state, but they're they have to call somebody in Washington before they they drive a tank down the road.
2: Yeah, but they're still Japanese, and I mean, we did we changed them a lot after the after the war. Yeah. But yeah. you, could, you could say that the Japanese are more Japanese than we are American today.
1: Okay, but um, they're still, uh, you know, they're like the Jews in this story. Uh, they're, they're conquered. Take and a
3: licking, but keep on ticking.
1: Who is actually stepping out of this? I've, I've heard that um, South Sudan is the only country that doesn't have, that's not like um, <laughs> directly uh, under the wing of, of somebody. <laughs> And th- because oh, of they're that,
3: the new, they're, they're going to start the new non aligned movement. Or they're runeans. Least... <laughs>
1: <laughs> they don't like put them on maps. Like, you know, uh, the like the play, like, uh, there must be somewhere in the world where they standardize, you know, the stamps you put on passports and stuff like that. They don't ha- there's nobody that they can call in South Sudan. That's it. <laughs> you, you, you have to, the game of nations, you cannot opt out of for at least for, um, well, at least 2,000 years.
3: A Klee painting named Angelus Novus shows an angel looking as though he is about to move away from something he is fixedly contemplating. His eyes are staring, his mouth is open, his wings are spread. This is how one pictures the angel of history. His face is turned toward the past. Where we perceive a chain of events He sees one single catastrophe which keeps piling wreckage (laughs) upon wreckage and hurls it in front of his feet. The angel would like to stay, awaken the dead, and make whole what has been smashed. But a storm is blowing from paradise. It has got caught in his wings with such violence that the angel can no longer close them. The storm irresistibly propels him into the future to which his back is turned, While the pile of debris before him grows skyward. This storm is what we call progress.
1: Here's the white pill. You know, we people talk about the fall of Rome, or they talk about uh, Weimar, Germany, and stuff like this. Why don't they talk about the Roman Republic? It had this this extreme corruption, bureaucracy, infighting. the 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 soldiers weren't taken care of. These these people were, and they don't talk about it because uh uh the end of that was pretty happy. I'm saying a lot of people died and stuff, but um this was the beginning. This this this. You know, they didn't just build and, like, like, it's not a straight line up. No, they, they, they had the most bureaucratic, like, just, they had the, the biggest swamp in the world. The swamp had total, were total power. There was, no, there was no president that could tell them what to do. And that was the breeding grounds for the, the glorious empire for hundreds of years. In sports, you don't see a player that you rare. there's a few times in history where you've seen a bad player become an elite player. Uh, in any sport, out of nowhere, um, so we don't feel like that that could happen un, in in uh, government. But governments don't work the same way. The, the few times that does happen is um, uh, there's been a couple of guys that they've almost had to quit baseball and they go learn how to throw the the, the knuckleball. That that can do it. But you can have a a nasty republic
2: and um, go to greatness. The Jim Bowton solution for for uh, <laughs> global politics.
1: It'll start taking them greenies. <laughs>
2: Wow. Making their way the only way they know how.
0: That's just a little bit more than the normal of life.